This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 227, and this week I am very pleased to be joined by a returning guest from the Dramatic DDT blog. Hello, Jamie. Yeah. Back once again. Back once again. It's great to have you back on. This is this is your first episode of the year, I think. Right? First one on the main feed. Oh, yeah, you did, you, you did one more recently. I'm try- I, I can never remember the last time somebody was on, so mm-hmm. I remember you did the DDT year interview. Did, did you come on more recently than that? There was the um, one of the super shows we did on the Patreon, I think. Oh, that, that right, was this year, right. wasn't okay. it? I think I think so. I, who, who even knows at this point? But <laughs> but yeah, so uh, great to have you back on, Jamie. Now, before we get into anything else, I realized thinking about this, what does WWE do? Uh, and of course, since we are reviewing World Wrestling Entertainment this week, which is a rare occurrence uh, for this podcast, what does WWE do? You know, famously, they treat people who are tuning in like uh, they're always watching for the first time. Their medium viewer is like, you know, 45 or whatever, but they always treat every viewer like they're watching for the first time. So in tribute to them, uh, I am going to do something I never do. And treat you, the listener, like you're listening to this for the first time. Because, uh, you know, maybe you are. Maybe you, you saw SummerSlam, you know, uh, in the in the, in the the uh, title here and decided to give us a shot. So what is this podcast all about? Uh, we are here on the Voice Wrestling Podcasting Network. We have been on here for, God, four years now, which is horrifying, uh, <laughs> since 2017. And, you know, this is basically a rotating guest host podcast. Uh, where I bring on a different guest every week. And, you know, the whole idea is the guest will be, you know, tuned into that form of wrestling. So obviously Jamie is here since we're doing uh, DDT, Peter Pan, and Jamie is like, you know, I don't, I, not to flatter you too much, but you're like the English language resource for DDT. I mean, uh, I don't know. I've been know, bumped I, down to every- number two fairly enough, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, but English English updates great. But I mean, like you were doing this when nobody cared. When like you know, I can't even imagine how many uh, new DDT fans you made in the West. I mean, I, that's honestly how I found it was you know uh, reading your blog. So I'm mm-hmm. sure it's the same thing for so many other people. So obviously, we're talking DDT. 
Jamie's the automatic guest. I mean, it just makes the most sense. Uh, and you also do happen to watch World Wrestling Entertainment too, so tolerate you know, World easy. Wrestling Entertainment. <laughs> so of course, you you know that made it even better to do that topic. Uh, you know, next week's episode. Uh, we'll be talking about All Japan. So I have Voices of Wrestling's uh, resident All Japan expert, uh, Gerard DiTrolio on. And, you know, he, he's he been watching All Japan longer than, I'm, than, you know, most people have been watching wrestling at all. I mean, like, seriously, since like the 90s, I believe. So, you know, he's a perfect guy to have on for that. Uh, two weeks from now, we're doing New Japan and AEW. So I have on Chris Samsa, who uh, does, you know... Uh, he does a lot of New Japan stuff for Sport of Pro Wrestling, and he also will be at All Out, so it makes a lot of sense to have him on. So that's the general idea, you know. Whatever the topic for that week is, you have a we have a guest on who you know really knows what they're talking about. Uh, I watch all this shit, so you know I can I feel like I can handle all of it, even when I'm in and out on certain promotions. Uh, but yeah, that's pr- pretty much the general idea, you know. Omakase means. You know, you know, it's like where you can order a sushi restaurant, right? That was the, the whole joke. And it, you're basically leaving it up to the chef. It's the same thing here where we're leaving it up to the guest for what, you know, their topic is and what, uh, you know, what their general idea is. So that's the, the, the concept of this podcast. Uh, it's now an every other week podcast on the Voice of Wrestling Network. But if you want to get an episode every week, we do have the Wrestling Omakase Patreon Network. So, you know, this week is a... Uh, you know, a uh, free episode. Next week will be a Patreon exclusive episode. Then the week after that, back to a free episode and on and on. Uh, but that's not all you get on the Patreon, of course. You also get uh, a series of smaller episodes that I call one match episodes because we have a series that's also called five matches. So this one is focused on one match for each time. Uh, and they usually just follow a different theme. Right now, I'm covering every Tokyo Dome main event in chronological order. Uh, we've gotten, we're almost done with the 1990s. So it was, a, it was a big, you know, cause I've seen other people do wrestle like January 4th, you know, Tokyo dome series, but this series is not just January 4th. It's every dome show, uh, you know, new Japan and every other promotion. So, you know, I talk, I, we focus on the main event. I talk about the main event in detail, but then we also talk about everything else going on. Uh, we break, we run down the whole card very quickly. And, you know, lately we've been talking a lot about the, uh, Universal Fighting Arts Organization, UFO, which was a giant disaster. But that's like, it really comes up a lot with these New Japan Dome shows because of, uh, you know, all the, the crazy stuff Inoki's been doing to try to get that thing off the ground in the late 90s. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. And that's obviously the other main benefit. And then uh, when the tournament season starts, uh, you know, again, with the G1 Climax and the N1 Victory next month, you know, we cover all those shows on a daily basis. So we get daily tournament coverage, which replaces the one match episodes while those tournaments are going on. Uh, we, we cover the DETDO, you know, every year too. And when would that'll be coming back? Uh, guys, November, right? Yep. I think. Yeah. So we'll be covering that on the Omakase Patreon. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we, it's just a lot of great stuff on there. Uh, and all of that only costs $5 a month. So it's at patreon.com slash wrestling Omakase. Uh, the link is in our episode description, of course. So definitely check that out if you enjoyed this episode and you want even more audio. Uh, you know, it's, obviously we're covering WWE today, but you know we cover AEW as well. But it focuses really on Japanese wrestling uh, and, like I said, a lot of historical stuff along with current day. So if you want more audio content of you know of that kind, 
I think you'll really enjoy the Patreon. Okay, so we got that out of the way. Uh, I hopefully introduced some new listeners or even people who've been listening for like a month and are like, what is this show about anyway? <laughs> just like, at least I know, kind of described it. Uh, before we get into the two main topics, there was another big story in uh, professional wrestling over the past weekend, of course, and that was the return of the uh, Chick Magnet Punk on Friday night at AEW Rampage. Uh, I assume you saw that, Jamie. I'm oh, not, yeah, but you know, like I was one of the many uh, European fans who either stayed up or woke up at 3, 3 a.m. in the morning to uh, watch it. Um, like It was a fun episode, but it, it felt like that first 20 minutes of just seeing Punk there, it didn't matter what they showed afterwards. Like That was one of the most satisfying uh, wrestling segments I've seen in God knows how long. Yeah, I mean... So I want to talk a little bit about it because obviously punk, so people don't know me, uh, you know, one of my biggest wrestling fandoms, like one of the things I I did as a wrestling fan was, you know, I was lucky enough to, I've lived in the Northeast my entire life and I was already a wrestling fan uh, as a teenager. So I started going to a lot of those uh, Ring of Honor shows in the Northeast during what I guess most people consider their glory period uh, in 2003 pretty much all the way up until like 2008 or 2009 was probably when I, whenever like the Sinclair really took it over. I think it was like the, the Jerry, I remember Jerry Lim won the title and that was when I was like, yeah, this isn't for me anymore. Uh, and I went to like, I went to some TV taping. It just really dragged. And I don't think I ever went back to a show after that until the new Japan relationship started. Um, so, you know, somewhere in there, I'll wait around or nine, but you know, I, I was lucky enough to have front row for a lot of those shows. I mean, you can literally see me in the front row. Uh, somebody replayed that segment on Twitter the other day of, do you remember that's when CM, they had that snowstorm in Long Island? Yeah, I don't the, know how much of a Ring of Honor fan you are. So you yeah, might, the, you do yeah, the, uh, on, not, they didn't call it Uncensored. It was on, basically yeah, the, the show where like half the card had to be changed because of the snowstorm and here was the big surprise. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, so I was there for that. That was Punk's, you know, last Ring of Honor appearance, and you know, he he was already signed. He, came, he this was two thousand six, mm-hmm. and he came back unannounced from OBW, and you know, there's a there's a, a GIF or not a GIF, like a little video clip someone posted of Punk walking up to like a fan and saying a fan who was like uh, talking shit about him and saying, "I'm sorry, what what did you say?" and sticking the microphone up like he was gonna put it in his face and then pulling it away. Like, I don't really give a shit. Very funny, very funny little set thing that Punk did. But you can uh, very clearly see a, uh, God, how old would I have been at this time? Uh, I guess 19. I get, I'm very, I'm aging myself here. But yes, I think I'd be 19 at the time. You can see a 19-year-old me in a bright red Special K shirt, like at the very start of this clip, looking very happy to see CM Punk. So uh, there you go. That's uh that was my my appearance in that video clip because I saw that clip like a million times on Twitter uh, leading up to like leading up to and after Punk's return. And it's like, ah, yeah, there I am. But it's just kind of funny. But yeah, I mean, this isn't just to brag. I mean, it is also to brag, obviously. But just to say, you know, I saw CM Punk a lot. I was in the building uh, for the third match against Samoa Joe at the Rex Flex where he got he just bled a gusher. I remember cheering him on to finally win that title. It did not happen. Uh, you know, I saw him against Raven at the Rexplex. I saw him, uh, you know, run out of, run out of, uh, Edison, New Jersey with the title after he just beat, uh, 
Austin Aries for it. And everybody thought he was leaving. I saw him sign the, the contract on the belt the next night in Long Island. I mean, I saw a lot of stuff with CM Punk. So CM Punk, I wouldn't say he's like one of my absolute all-time favorites, but he's like, I'd say he's definitely the next tier. He's a guy I really like. I mean, it sounds so, like you've been through a lot of his pivotal moments in ROH. Yeah. And I so I got to see him, you know, grow up as a Ring of Honor guy. And, I, you know, he's a guy I always really liked. And, you know, watching him go to WWE, it was a weird mix of painful, but also like, you know, like he had, he himself kind of said in that promo where like, you know, it, he, he did succeed. I mean, there really is no way to call his WWE run a failure. I know he always likes to say, you know, I didn't main event mania. It was a failure, but like, I think a lot of like a lot, of, if you polled ring of honor fans in 2006, I think a lot of them would have told you like, this guy is never going to make it past the mid card. And he'll be back on the Indies by like 2010. Mm-hmm. I bet you that would have been like one of the top options. And he clearly, uh, you know, outperformed that. He got the, the world title multiple times. Um, you know, he had a long run there. Obviously, it ended in a in pretty terrible fashion. But, you know, it's just one of these things where like Punk, Punk having his run there was never enough to like get me to actually buy a ticket you know it was like it was the one the only thing sometimes it was the only reason why i would turn on a wwe show past you know like 2010 or whatever but you know it never got me to uh you know actually want to attend the shows live because just the rest of that promotion i guess was so horrible but you know it's just it, it it's i don't know where i'm going with this i guess other than to say his wwe run was such a mixed bag i guess and like you know, you could, it, he would come through sometimes and then other times it would be like, well, you know, it just felt like such an uphill struggle. I mean, we, we covered the, uh, the punk versus JBL match from, uh, SummerSlam on the SummerSlam retro roulette episode that we did a few weeks ago. And, you know, watching him as this flailing world champion who won this belt on a fluke and then got laid out backstage the next the next month and didn't even lose the title in the ring you know that kind of thing was painful at the time as a as a fan of his and you know he he but he wins the w title he gets that year and a half run you know really felt like he he got to do uh something of note there but then obviously the way that run ends is really painful and then finally you know after seven years of people waiting for this guy to come back you know he comes out and you know, I, I I remember seeing when he when he did that terrible WWE backstage thing last year. You know, I remember seeing a lot of people be like, "Oh, well, he just shit on his own legacy, and now his return will never be as big." And boy, did that take end up being wrong. Because <laughs> I mean, I kind of was... forget that entire TV show ever happened. <laughs> like, I it, think everybody did. Well, it's just like one of the jokes I've seen is uh, people. Someone referred to uh, Punk's UFC run as Michael Jordan playing uh, baseball, and it was like. That's what the TV show was supposed to be. That's what I thought the TV show was this completely off the wall thing that he'd done and he finally came back to hustling. But it just completely blanked my mind on that TV show. Yeah. I think nobody, I don't think a lot, I think a lot of people sincerely don't remember it. So, you know, it's. And it's, you, well, you, you've also mentioned how, um, you know, so many accomplishments, like it's to the point where even the diehard WWE fans who hate the fact that this is all happening are pointing out how successful he was in WWE. So he should stop insulting them. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of funny, right? <laughs> but, you know, the, the the return itself, I mean, that crowd pop was one of those crowd pops that you'll remember for the rest of your life. I mean, I, I, I honestly, I almost went to the show. I regret that I didn't do it. Like, I 
I looked up the flights from New York to Chicago and they were like, you know, they announced this so last minute that it was like, you know, this, you know when they when they announced this United Center show, I think it was what, like three weeks out? Or three weeks out, yep. Like, th- yeah. th- th- this is why so much of it is unbelievable of how short notice this build-up has been. Even if this has been in the works for a while, like the last month, I have never seen the wrestling fan base being so shell-chocked over everything. And yeah. this was kind of the cherry on top. Yeah, and it's like it was just too last minute for flight prices not to be ridiculously expensive. So it was like, okay, you know, it was it would have been like I don't know, like four hundred dollars to round trip to Chicago, which is kind of ridiculous for New York to Chicago. It's yeah. usually like you know two hundred ish. So I just really couldn't justify it. But watching him come out, I was like, wow, I wish I had just pulled the trigger and done it and been there because that that seemed like it was a really cool moment to be there live for. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I thought the promo was great. I saw some people say they didn't think he went hard enough on WWE. He, he like, did the right amount. No, he, I, like, yeah. Like, like for me, um, like a term I've taken for granted over the last decade is how WWE is not pro wrestling at sports entertainment. They'll tell you that themselves. I never really believed it because that mask always slips and WWE will do something that is pro wrestling and is entertaining and it is worthwhile to see. It doesn't happen often enough, but it does happen. Hearing Punk use the, that um, saying against them in his own promo by saying he left wrestling when he left Ring of Honor and now he's back, that was when everything kind of popped for me. And I kind yeah. of realized that it, it is like snap a finger, everything's woken up, we're in a new world now. Yeah, and there were a couple lines where I'm just like, I don't know if you were... Because after Punk you know, did the comeback. I saw some WWE stand tweets on Twitter that were like, oh, you know, we're just trying to enjoy this too, but all these fans are making it anti-WWE. I'm like, did you listen to his promo? He talked about how WWE made him physically, emotionally, and spiritually ill, and he could never go back to the same place that made him sick. I'm like, that's pretty anti-WWE. Nicole is in the room with me, my girlfriend Nicole, uh, for part of this promo. And so we had just, I guess a little bit of background, we just watched this sitcom, The Good Place. I don't know if you've heard of that pretty recently where they, they go to heaven or hell. That's really all you need to know to get this joke. Uh, so as Punk is doing the part of the promo where he is describing, uh, you know, his his last night in Ring of Honor, how he's crying. He, he's, he said he was crying, not just because of where he was leaving. He's like, he's like I, I was crying because I knew where I was going. And Nicole was like, he made it sound like he was going to the bad place. He made it sound like he was going to hell. And it was like, that's it. I'm like, that was pretty anti WWE. I don't think he had to go so much harder to like say, fuck Vince and all that. It's like, that would have been corny, but he, you know, in his own way was very anti WWE in this promo. I mean, it's not like every wrestler is that leaves WWE are making prison videos, prison escape videos because they just saw the Shawshank Redemption recently. <laughs> I don't know. It's just really, I mean, God, like listen to that. Go, go, go back and listen to that Moxley like shoot interview he did after, with Jericho after he got after he left, or after actually it was after he showed up on Double or Nothing. It's like they, they, you know, they, these people hate this company. They only stay there because they get paid. Like it's really not that. It's like if, if you're trying to like galaxy brain it, there's really nothing else to galaxy brain. They get they like money. Nobody likes WWE. They like money. Anyway, I don't, maybe Seth Rollins likes it. Maybe he's the one. 
but there are people that thrive in that atmosphere, to be honest, yeah. or that environment. There's not a, not a whole lot, but I guess there's a few. Uh, but yeah, so the CM Punk return I thought was awesome. I thought his promo was great, uh, and we'll see where it goes from here. Obviously, I mean he's going to be at Dynamite on Wednesday, so I'm excited uh, for it. Like even like, the yeah. first match with Darby Allen, like doesn't matter what that match is, as long as Darby just dives on him, does something crazy. That's all yeah. I need to see. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes, I guess. Uh, and then that'll be obviously it all out, it seems like. I don't think he's going to wrestle before that. I mean, I definitely wouldn't have him if I was them. Uh, but yeah, there you go. A little bit. I didn't want to do a whole big thing on the CM Punk return, but a little bit on it because, you know, he is a guy I've seen, you know, throughout my entire wrestling fandom. And again, and I was, you know, I was happy to see him. I wasn't, I wasn't crying like that guy in the audience. And again, I'm not making fun of that guy because no, 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 good. I have definitely, I have definitely cried over professional wrestling. Uh, when Naito won the IWGP, I was mm-hmm. crying both both times. So I'm not gonna make fun of that guy, but I just want to. I just wasn't crying. That's all I, I, I see that every week on Match of the Day. <laughs> that is true. Are you are you a big like Premier League fan? I always forget. Yeah, uh, uh, Liverpool fan. So I mean, and Liverpool. That, that's something I can bring up about how to said. Uh, WWE versus AEW. This is normal in every single sport you watch. I'm a Liverpool fan. <laughs> I have friends that are Man United fans. We insult the fuck out of each other every week. We're still uh, I'm along. a Chelsea fan, so you so. can make fun of me if you want. I mean, oh, no, you, you, you guys won today, don't worry. Actually, yeah, did you win we today? Beat, I didn't see the score. We beat Arsenal 2 0. Yeah. yeah. yeah so. uh, but I just meant like fun of me for like supporting the oligarch team, which Joel, Joel from the Super J cast does plenty too. But I don't know. It was like when I first got into them, it was like, okay, I want, I like the color blue and I want to cheer for a team that can actually win, but I don't want to cheer for Manchester United. Cause like every, every friend of mine I know that's into the premier league, especially at the time, we're all Manchester United fans. Oh I'm yeah. Like, they were the dominant contra- team. Yeah. It's like, I'm too much of a contrarian. I'm going to, I'm going to cheer for Chelsea. Well, look, then- I became a Liverpool fan because when I was two years old, I watched football on TV and Liverpool just happened to be the team on us. So that sometimes it's as simple as that because I'm from Dublin. I'm not from England. Yeah. But I know you guys have your own. Do you have like an Irish soccer team too that you cheer for? Um, We do have an Irish soccer league, but very few of us pay attention to it because the Premier League is right oh, next okay. door. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a bone of contention with um our national team. I mean, we have a soccer league here in America too that, and I, and I don't pay any attention to it. So, you know, uh, it is what it is, I guess. Okay, so let's get into SummerSlam. That will be our first main topic here. Now, I also uh, reviewed this show as part of the roundtable on the Voice of Wrestling website. So if you want to hear me or read me review it in written form, uh, you can do that on voiceofwrestling.com along with Garrett Kidney and uh, Kelly Harris. So I think the three of us did a good job, but you can check it out. but yeah, so this show was from the Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. A announced crowd at 51,326. Apparently the real crowd was like 44, right? Is that what I 44, 45, I think? I heard it was over 40,000 officially sold, at least through the yeah. Ticketmaster outlets. Yeah, so typical WWE exaggeration, I guess. Apparently they had a lot of problems in this venue. I assume you read about this, right? Oh, yeah. Like yep. they had overflowing toilets, first of all. They had uh, the credit card processing system was completely down. The Wi-Fi was down. They couldn't like <laughs> sell food. At one point, at one point during, I think it was during uh, 
God, maybe during Lashley Goldberg during some. I don't know. Actually, it was earlier that during like the women's three way. I saw a tweet that was like they now have free food, and then like two minutes later. They're out of food because I guess they just they didn't want to throw all this food out and they literally could not sell it unless you had cash. And, you know, who the fuck carries cash anymore? Not not that many people. So, so that's what like, I was asking. Okay. Um, is Allegiance just a completely uh, cardless oh, or cardless at the moment? It could, it could have been. But, yeah, I mean, like they, you know, I, I, thinking about it, if there's anywhere in the country where you would expect people to have cash, it's actually fucking Las Vegas. <laughs> Because they bring cash, to, you have to bring cash to gamble. So I mean, I don't know. It's a little weird that maybe they're maybe they're like registers were just completely down. They couldn't even take cash. That's only that's the only thing I could think of. But yeah, I mean, like because the registers are usually on computers now too. So maybe they can't yeah. even take any cash. So I don't know. The point is they they start offering free food because uh, the something was wrong with their payment system and. You know, they like ten minutes later. I saw another tweet that was like, "Update: They are out of food." And it's like, okay, <laughs> just really funny shit. This arena was a disaster, basically. Uh, but yeah, so the show opened with the Raw World Tag Team Titles, or actually just the Raw Tag Titles. I don't think they get to be World anymore. Uh, RK Bro, Randy Orton, and Riddle defeated AJ Styles and Obos in seven oh four to win the win the championships. Uh, okay. First of all, Riddle. Put aside everything else with him for a second, okay? I don't, okay. <laughs> don't really want to talk about that right now. He's he, obviously, if he did what he's accused of, he is a piece of shit. Let's obviously say that. Putting that aside, though, he may be the most annoying character in World Wrestling Entertainment history. I wish Randy Orton would RKO this fucking dork every single time they're on screen together. I mean, it is just, he is so, he makes Rob Van Dam, like peak WWE Rob Van Dam, look like a Rhodes Scholar. I mean, I cannot handle this character. It's one of the most annoying things in the company. So, I don't know if you feel differently about I, I, I wouldn't go too far, but, um, yeah, it, it is just very much like they see him like they saw Rob Van Dam, and they just think pot, uh, pothead humor. Yeah. I mean, it's just really, really annoying. And, like, I don't know. I just, I really can't stand him. And, well, they're already uh, retconning the story. Sorry, they're already retconning the story with him because uh, they showed a video clip of RK Bro getting back together and they completely left out Randy giving him the RKO. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Because I, I think uh, I think enough people watched it thought it was Randy turning on him and not just, like, uh, buddy behavior. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Riddle, you know, cannot stand that guy. Um, just really, I, 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 ver- I always sympathize with Orton when he's looking at this guy, like what is wrong with this person? But, uh, almost, I will say he ca- almost on AJ's team. He carries himself like a star already, which is like half the battle, but they don't help him out at all with that. Like, why does he still have this generic black shirt and black pants non gear after all this time? He looks like the world's tallest bouncer. Like, why don't they give him some, an actual gear of any kind? I think, really I think that's weird. the idea they want to do with him. It's just it it doesn't help though. It makes him look very generic. So I don't know. Uh Matt the match itself, Riddle gets a little offense on AJ early on. He and Omos uh quickly cut Riddle off though. They work him over for a little bit. It's pretty basic stuff, you know, standard tag formula, but just very condensed. It's only a seven-minute match. 
Uh, Riddle makes, you know, a little bit of a comeback. He then hits AJ with a quick knee. He tags in Orton. Orton beats up AJ, prevents Orton from entering the ring. Riddle is pantomiming Orton's RKO set up from the floor, which somehow makes them both look like super uncool idiots. And then almost interrupts the RKO, uh, but Orton gets it pretty quickly after that anyway to win the match. I thought this was like perfectly average. Too quick to be much of anything great. Really nothing wrong with it. So I went two and a half stars. You've perfectly average rating. I think the the match, and I'm going to say this a lot during this show, was let down by the production. So you, you have like the camera work has been, it's normally always bad, but it's been especially worse during this show with the camera cuts. There was one point where Riddle was doing a flying knee to Omos, and I literally couldn't see it because it was just the camera behind Omos, <laughs> and Omos was filling up the entire screen. Yeah. Um, I mean, the and the other thing is, so it, it wasn't the, the pigeons. Was it the AO graphics that they do for the start? They, they have these mm-hmm. uh, computer graphics. So Riddle does his leap into the ring, and pigeons just fly across the screen. Did you see that? Right. I did say it, yeah. No. It's something. <laughs> But what are you gonna do? Do you watch? I guess I should ask you this before. Do you watch the weekly TV at all or now? I'll see if there's anything good on YouTube. It's normally the podcast reviews that I get, but um, yeah, just YouTube clips. I, I have, I actually have watched SmackDown most weeks since they came back. Not every week, but most weeks since they came back with crowds, and it's been all right. I mean, it really hasn't been that bad. You know, it's the same matches every week, which is the same complaint a lot of people have about WWE. But like. Oh. I don't know. It really hasn't been that horrible. No, Raw, Raw is the show everyone complains about. Yeah, Raw I cannot watch. I just cannot watch Raw. I mean, I will. I I I try to turn it on a couple times. It's just it, like thirty minutes is the most I can handle. But SmackDown's fine, I guess. Uh, but yes, if I if I have like I, the the uh, as a result though, I'm more familiar with the uh, SmackDown people on this show than the Raw people for sure. Like you know, I just saw a lot more of them uh, leading up to it. Match two was Alexa Bliss defeating Ava Marie with Dewdrop in three minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, okay. Now, you, you, remember, you invited me onto the show, and I was happy to do it. <laughs> do you remember what was the first thing I tweeted at you or sent you after I agreed yeah. to do this? It was the match the graphic, graphic for this. Match. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful timing. Yeah, they announced it like right after you agreed to do this. <laughs> now, look, this could have been way worse. I mean, Ava, yeah, yes, Ava Marie yeah. looked like a she looked like a newborn deer in there. I mean, she couldn't even take a drop toe hold correctly. But like, they didn't do anything spooky, nothing at all. Like the doll didn't wink, the doll didn't throw up black liquid. Alexa didn't hypnotize anybody. They just had a completely normal wrestling match a horrible one but a completely normal wrestling match and the only thing that was weird about the match really was that when ava after she beat up she beat up alexa momentarily she went in the corner and started slapping the doll around and i was like okay more of her offense was on this fucking doll than it was on alexa bliss but the doll didn't do anything like there was nothing spooky here so i thought we were gonna get some crazy spooky nonsense and instead we just got a bad wrestling match so uh, well, it, it kind of says Alexa. a lot that WWE has more faith in giving Eva Marie a standard wrestling match than to do special effects on the doll in front of 40,000 people. I always forget that I have this fucking, uh, what's it called thing now? This Amazon. Oh, do you? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Did you just order a Lily doll by accident? 
No, I don't think so. But yeah, because they'll put you on the register for that. The Echo Echo Show is what I have because I got one for me and my dad, so we can like you know video chat and stuff. And yeah, it's uh, every time I say Miss Bliss's name, the thing comes on like, oh, you're talking to me. So yes, that that noise will happen every time I talk about her, this <laughs> this wrestler, I guess, on this podcast. Anyway, uh, but yes, uh, Miss Bliss. I was like, we'll keep calling her. Like you know, she goes for Twisted Bliss off the top. Ava rolls out of the way. Uh, but then, you know, spooky gal just hits a normal DET and pins her. Uh, I went one and a quarter stars. It could have been so much worse. It was still horrible, but it definitely could have been a lot worse. Yeah, we should probably be thankful for that. And the, the gimmick uh, Bliss has right now. Oh, you, you left out the uh, We Want Wyatt's Chance, which was kind of. Oh, weird. I didn't even. I didn't even notice. Honestly. Now, yeah, this is what I'm wondering because I think WWE were on their game with the audio sweetening throughout the show. It didn't sound out of place for a lot of the matches. It did sound there was like one. There was one match where I thought it was very obvious they were doing. Oh, it, but oh okay, we'll get to that. Match. Yeah, but but it it, yeah. it generally sounded like the audience that was there wanted to be there and were happy with what they were given for the most part. Um, now, yeah. but, but this is gimmick. I think this can work. If it was done differently, I see. You remember Poison Swear to Julie, the DDT gimmick from the mid 2000s, and how that had a lot of uh, hypnotism and magical hijinks involved with that gimmick. I kind of wish they just took all of those spots, gave them to Alexa, and have that be the supernatural stuff that she does in the ring. Hmm. Yeah. Because I think that would work better than just trying to do special effects with Lily. Um, <laughs> although I say that, and it's just the DDT buckle in me is just thinking, just have Lily win the twenty four seven title. What, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, I don't know. Like if this was DDT, that's what we, we that's what they'd be doing. <laughs> that's what they would be. That's for sure. That's for sure. For sure. Uh, up next, oh, after the match, Dewdrop announced Avery as a loser, as I guess she's been doing to her, and then put on her robe and strutted off to her theme song. Okay. I guess they're already breaking up. Who cares? Back and uh, forth, back match, and forth, back and forth. Yeah. Match number three was for the United States title. Damian Priest beat Sheamus in 13-47. Now, I, this match was like, okay. The, I'm sure I'm not the only person watching SummerSlam who does not watch Raw ever. And I, had, I could not really get any handle on what Damian Priest is supposed to be. Like he's a, he looks like a tall dude who wrestles. Like that seems to be his own get. Like he doesn't have any gimmick at all, which is weird for this company. Like they started talking about how, uh, you know, oh, Damian Priest wants to live forever. What does that mean? Like what? Who? What does that actually mean? Like I don't. Like that does not make me identify with him in any possible way. He, he wants to live forever. What is like? They did not explain what that meant at all. They did not explain why I should care about this guy. He was just, as far as I could tell, a slightly tall man who did some kicks. I mean, I could not get into him at all. So, I don't know. Yeah, I can't uh, get a grasp of why that gimmick exists, but yeah, they they think he looks cool. He fires like this fake, the fake arrows at the screen. I'm just like, what is this? Like, why am I supposed to care? They just really did not a good job answering that at all. Uh, now, with that said, also, I like this match a lot. I, I, I thought it was this okay. Was, 
you know, now it's just with Seamus, I think he's kind of uh, underappreciated because he's just been with the company forever, and no matter how he changes his look, he's still the same wrestler each and every time. With that said, he he throws his lumps, he takes his lumps, he he knows how to get good matches out of people. It's just it's hard to care for him when he's not getting his ass kicked. Yeah. So here's, I mean, here's here's my issues with this. First of all. These it's taken less than two months for WWE live crowds to go back to being the absolute worst crowds in wrestling history because they did even when guys are working hard, like these two were working hard for a lot of this match, they were dead fucking silent for so long in this match until the very end when they started to get into it a little. And it's like, I have seen COVID fucking shows in Japan in front of clap crowds that managed to make more noise than these 45,000 people made for most of this match and plenty of other matches on this show too. And it's like, they just, you know, they just love to sit on their hands. I really don't get it. They like, they view every heel heat period, especially as prime phone scrolling time, I guess, because they just don't make any noise. They find, they made noise finally for a heel heat segment during one match on the show and it was Roman Reigns versus John Cena. That was apparently the only match that lots of people in attendance paid to see because they did not give a fuck about almost anything else on this show, which was really jarring at times. So I, it, it always it always makes me wonder, like, again, why did you why even buy a ticket? But I guess the answer for this show especially was they, they were there to see Reigns and Cena. They couldn't give less of a shit about anything else on the show. Um, you know, the wrestling was was fine. I thought it was a little bit slow at times, and the completely dead crowd really didn't help at all. And they finally did get a little into it down the stretch, uh, which, you know, that does say something for their work, you know, that they got them into it by the end a little bit. Um, and, it, you know, it did speed up a little bit. It got more physical. Uh, you know, there was like a really kind of bad spot where Seamus rolled into a leg lock, which looked a qu- looked like it was like a quarter speed instead of half. But other than that, you know, I thought this was fine by the end. They really beat themselves up to finally get the crowd into it. Uh, and Priest getting the win here uh, felt pretty big for him. So uh, he he beat Sheamus in thirteen forty seven. I don't know if I said that, but yeah, uh, I went three stars. It was fine. Yeah, no, like I said, uh, this was one of my favorite matches of tonight, just because when you just divorce everything, divorce the uh, presentation, the storytelling, whatever, and let's just have a wrestling match. Uh, those two did a good job. Uh, match number four was for the SmackDown Tag Team Titles. The Usos defeat the Mysterios in 10:49 to retain the belts. Uh, I blanked out during this match. Ray, Ray I do not remember very, much. Ray did a very nice baseball slide press to the floor under both Usos, and then Dominic immediately followed that up by doing his usual awkward and bad dive off the top rope. And then he slipped on the top rope back, doing a springboard crossbody back in the ring, and almost fucking like broke his hip. So that kind of sums up their team. Ray does an awesome dive. Dominic does two horrible ones. I mean, uh, it's the curse of the point, second generation wrestler. Yeah, I mean, it's this is every generation gets its Eric Watts. I guess I don't know. Uh, Dominic he does the the three amigos at one point. I hoped that was him foreshadowing that he was going to turn on his dad, just like Eddie always did. But no, no he's, he always does him... that spot. He... Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, but then he absolutely eats shit, uh, getting pushed off the top rope into the barricade on the floor by Jey Uso. Then he gets thrown hard in the ring post, too. So you can't say the kid isn't willing to take some hard bumps, at least. I mean, that's pretty much all he can do at this point, and he did do it. Uh, 
But then Ray got his hot tag. He did his re- usual really fun comeback. Th- that crowd uh, was really you know, Ray- into the hot tag until that happened. Did you, did you notice that was weird? There, there was like the build up to the hot tag. You could see the crowd in the distance all standing, ho- hooting and hollering. And then when the hot tag happened, everything kind of went quiet. Did, did you notice yeah, that? that? was weird. I did notice that. Yeah, that was weird. The match, by the way, I was talking about with the, the fake crowd noise was obvious to me. I forgot. It was actually Sheamus and, uh, and Priest because at one okay. point... During during the heel heat segment, you could hear a lot of people clapping, but you looked at the crowd and there was like one person clapping. Mm. So I was like, okay, this is because you could tell they were all sitting on their hands still. But you heard the crowd, you heard like this fake they they piped in this fake noise of people going, yeah, clap. I'm like, they're not clapping. <laughs> you can tell. You can just look and see they're not clapping. Uh, but that was like the most obvious moment to me. Anyway, uh, you know, so Ray gets his hot tag. He he, he the hot tag is great. Uh, he gets his head taken off by a super kick from Jimmy Uso, though. That gets a near fall. And then Dominic uh, tries to cut them off, but then he can't even take a release suplex on the apron correctly. He, like, lands on his knee. He's lucky if he didn't tear it up. And Ray uh, tries to get them with the Eddie Tribute Frog Splash, or Frog Splash, I don't know what I just said. Uh, whichever Uso it is gets his knees up, and they do the double team and splash him for the win. So I thought everything with Ray and the Usos was great. I thought Ray was awesome here. The Usos looked great. Dominic took a decent ass kicking between all those horrible spots. So, you know, when he when he actually did do anything, it was awful, as he's, he almost always is awful. So I, like, split the difference and said it was pretty good. I went three and a quarter. I had fun with it. I enjoyed it. But uh, Dominic is still really horrible. And just basically, it's like if you had any competent pro wrestler in there with Ray, they probably could have had like a fucking, you know, three and three quarter or four star match. But, you know, we have Dominic. So he drags this shit down. Uh, we're going to talk about this later. There was a 13 year old who did the Dragon Rana. How old is Dominic? I think he's pretty, a lot older than that, I think. <laughs> Let's say Dominic. Dominic Mysterio. I mean, yeah, both the teenagers in the DEP show looked a million times better. Dominic Mysterio is 24 years old. Well, it's just like uh, I don't know much about his what he, his personal life was before wrestling, so I don't know if this was always his dream or if it was just an idea that came to him when he uh, he, he just he isn't made to be a pro wrestler. Or at least to, he's not me. Oh, man, I don't even know how to finish this off. He's not good. I mean, that's all. I mean, he just doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't look oh, like he wants I'm trying to be fair because of who he yeah. is, but. He doesn't look like he wants it, right? I mean, that's he looks like David Flair. Like, David Flair was doing it because he felt like he should do it, and it's got, it makes good money, but he never looked like he wanted it. And I think the same is true for Dominic. So, uh, Between matches four and five, Nakamura and Rick Boogs came out, and uh, they, I don't know, they uh, played guitar. I mean, I, I think they thought the crowd was going to sing Nakamura's theme song a lot more than they did. They barely did it at all. I mean, I think that yeah. was the idea about the segment is, oh, we have 45,000 people here. They'll all go, oh, oh, you know, with the theme song. But, like, this is not an NXT crowd. A mainstream WWE crowd has been given almost no reason to care about this guy for years. Just because you put the Intercontinental title back on him and gave him a guitarist does not mean they're suddenly going to be, like, really into him like he's a superstar again. They just didn't care. And obviously, he also had no reason to be out there, too. I, th- I thought someone was going to, like, interrupt him and attack him or something and just 
No, he just came out and... No, like, Boogs at the start said that this is a musical interlude, so I imagine... It, was this was this the point when everything was broken in the stadium? I guess. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It was just really bizarre. Uh, after that, oh boy. Now, Jamie, mm-hmm. you're, you're from Ireland. Becky Lynch is also from Ireland. Are you a Becky Lynch fan? Oh, yes, yes. Okay. I'm a Becky Lynch fan, too. Okay? I want to prelude by saying this. Because I've seen these a lot of weird takes on Twitter that if you didn't like what happened here, you're somehow blaming <laughs> Becky Lynch. I don't hold a single bit of ill will towards Becky Lynch in my body for this. I'm sure this was not her idea. I'm sure this was not her fault. Just saying this right away so nobody gets mad at me who's a Becky Lynch fan. I am a Becky Lynch fan. That is me. I like Becky Lynch. That does not mean this wasn't absolutely one of the dumbest and worst things I've ever seen because it was. So Bianca Belair is supposed to wrestle Sasha Banks. They play the fucking video package. They advertised it all the way up until tonight. They were, they, as far as anybody knew before this match started, we're getting Becky versus Sasha. The ring announcer just takes the mic and says, Oh, Bianca versus Sasha. I'm sorry. Uh, The ring announcer takes the mic and is just like, I think I think he literally just says, uh, Sasha Banks is unable to compete this evening. Yep. No explanation. Just unable to compete. Uh, so Bianca will now defend her title against Carmella. Now, Carmella coming out here was really funny. I will give them that because uh, Bianca has beaten... If you don't watch uh, Friday Night SmackDown, Bianca has beaten this woman approximately five trillion times in the last month and a half. And in fact, she just beat her last night in a match right after she had beaten Selena Vega in a match. So, like, you know, really, like, Carmella should be, like, the number, like, the the lowest contender there is, basically, after that. Uh, so what's funny to have, the crowd was not happy at all, but then, oh, then Becky Lynch's music hits and she comes out. That was a good swerve. That, like, every, the moment Becky Lynch's music hit, I'm thinking, oh, they, this is good. This, they know what they're doing here. Now, Becky's a surprise, and she and Bianca are going to have a great fucking match. And yeah, Becky will probably win. But, you know, to set up rematches. Like, again, if Becky and Bianca had a 15-minute match yep. and it was fucking great, and Becky had won clean, no one would be complaining. No one. No one would be complaining. I would not be complaining. No one else on Twitter would be complaining. <laughs> that, I feel, I feel like I'm losing my mind when I read some of these takes. No one would be complaining about that. I just need to make that absolutely clear. The moment Becky's music hit, I figured she was winning. That is not the problem. I'm so happy you're the one taking the bonus instead of I. <laughs> I just think like, it's so stupid. <laughs> People are so fucking stupid. Okay, Becky gets to the ring. She chal- She says, uh, she kicks Carmella's ass. Great. She says, uh, Bianca, let's tear the house yep. down. Yep. Oh, okay? this is the- That's what she said. Let's the tear the death. house down. She said, let's tear the house down. Bianca is smiling. She's happy. She's fucking thrilled with this turn of events. Uh, She could not be happier. She agrees to accept this last minute challenge. Okay. They they ring the bell. Becky offers her a handshake. And this is what I've done. Bianca takes it. Becky punches her in the face off the handshake because apparently every baby face in WWE is an asshole. She hits the rock bottom. That's not even her finisher, as far as I know, unless it's going to be her new finisher now. She did use the move, but uh, I don't remember ever seeing her win with this. Yeah, she hits the rock bottom, covers Bianca, one, two, three. The match, again, was 25 seconds. 
under 30 seconds. So uh, I, <laughs> I'm just trying to, like, Bianca Belair may be their best wrestler of either gender this year. She had the WWE match of the year at WrestleMania with Sasha Banks by a fucking mile, okay? I've seen some people say that that match wasn't that great. I completely disagree. I went four and a half stars on it. It was, it was honestly, that is the first WWE match in like four or five years that may actually make my top 10 match of the year list, okay? okay. This is um, not a company. That, that, that says a lot. That says a lot. <laughs> this is not a company that I ever am that high on their in-ring wrestling. I thought that match was so fucking great. I was so excited about that Bianca after that match. And I think she's been she's been really good on SmackDown. She ha- she makes something out of all these stupid five-minute matches. She is a great professional wrestler. So what is her reward <laughs> for stealing the show at WrestleMania at their next Temple event? She gets to look like one of the absolute biggest fucking idiots in the history of this company. She looks like Yokozuna accepting the challenge from Hulk Hogan and getting beaten in a minute. Except again, Yokozuna was a fucking heel. Okay, if Charlotte had taken this challenge and gotten beaten 30 seconds, that would have been fine because Charlotte is a heel and nobody likes Charlotte. Here, Bianca gets her ass kicked in 25 seconds after taking this challenge, completely clean, gets fucking squashed, and yes, that is the word, squashed. And and I, 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 don't, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. This, If you are defending this, if you are, you, the listener, are defending this on Twitter and saying, let it play out, you are a fucking brain-dead idiot. You are a complete fucking moron, okay? How many times does this company have to fuck things up before you stop saying, let it play out? Like, this is like saying, you know... Let's give the Nazis another chance. I don't. I don't know. Maybe this time would be different. It's like, what are you talking about? You know, I, I, was, know? I, I was just going to say, like, hey, remember what happened to Bray Wyatt when he lost to Randy Orton because, and now he's fired. Like that. That was my example for the whole let it play out stuff. <laughs> it's just so. I know I went a little harder, but I just. I don't know. Like I don't understand. Like at some point, we know who they are. Okay, we know who WWE is. This is not a. Uh, let it play out thing. If Bianca Belair gets fucking fired in three months, I'm not going to even oh, bother God. coming online to say <laughs> to say I told I told you so because you should fucking know by now. If Bianca Belair does a stupid heel turn on Friday because she's jealous over Becky beating her again, I'm not going to tell you I told you so. This company fucking sucks. Okay, they don't book things. They do whatever the fuck is Vince's, uh, you know, fucking. Uh, moment in that in that morning, you know that's what Vince comes up. Vince just decided, oh, I want to have Becky beat Bianca in thirty seconds, and that's why they're doing it. It's not some long term plan. It's not you know part of a long term arc for Bianca Belair. Bianca just got to make look like an idiot because this company doesn't know what they're doing. This company can't fucking book, and every like at some point you don't have you you don't have to defend them you don't have to defend them. there is nothing to defend here this was one of the dumbest and worst things i've ever seen i mean i i just want to add to that point because uh, let's just say there was a reason that this match happened so quick like let's say becky was not ready to be in the ring what does that say about wwe's <laughs> fate and bianca belair that they do not want her to even wrestle like a basic 5 or 10 minute match with becky yeah, and like, you know what, if Becky can't do the match, then don't do the fucking match. 
Like that's that's a defense. I oh, Becky wasn't Becky had to come in last second because of Sasha being out. And if they could have done I, so many words, other things than that, they could have had Bianca beat Carmella in thirty seconds and then have Becky come out and fucking go nose to nose and not done the match yet. That would have been fine. People still would have gotten nuts over Becky's return, and it would have been like, okay, great, we're getting Bianca Becky at some point. They. There, there are always a million other ways they could have done this than having Bianca get squashed by Becky in 30 seconds. So, you know, when I took this show, I thought there'd be some funny stuff. I thought there'd be some fun stuff. The card didn't look bad for a 2021 WWE show. I did not think that they could still do anything that would piss me off, that would actually make me angry. I didn't think I cared enough. But they found, like, the one wrestler in the company that I really like and they were like, let's do the dumbest possible thing with her to make her look the worst way we can we possibly can. And it's like, bravo. I mean, I th- at this point I want to be like, yeah, congratulations. Even when I think I'm 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 never gonna get mad at you again, you still found a way to get me mad. So WWE, they they are they are like uh you know, the the all time greats at pissing people off. So now, that's I- why AEW after all you said, so, sorry. After all you said, that still doesn't put justice to what happened when you watch what happens. So, when I woke up this morning, I looked through the results, uh, read through the stuff, and just thought, "Oh, that's shitty for Bianca." Then I saw the video on Twitter because it was short enough to be like thirty seconds long. Thought it looked even worse. Then I watched the entire show, the entire segment, the video package they did for Bianca where they go through all of her achievements, they show through all of her glory, all of that build-up just for this is leaves me gobsmacked. It's horrible. I mean, there's really yeah. nothing else to say. It's, it's, it's horrible in every single way. And uh, it's, it's, I mean, this, this company does not know what they're doing. And they will never... They, they, they will never... They've never met anything they can't fuck up. Bianca Belair is a... You know, she's... Uh, she's got size, she's got power, she's got athleticism, she's taken to their training better than almost anybody I can think of in the past, you know, few years, and they still found a way. There's nobody they can't fuck up. But it's not even... She has a genuine connection as well. Like, well, you you can tell that she is having the time of her life doing this stuff. People like her. It's like, they've never met anything they can't fuck up. That's all I'm going to say, because... they, it just never. I mean, people had a connection with Bailey, and they fucked that up too. I mean, just, they've never met anything they can't fuck up. And you know, enjoy Bianca's heel turn. And people after Bianca turns heel, and you know, uh, turns on Be- turns on Becky or whatever because she's jealous. People will be like, "Oh, this was great, actually." It's like no, it, it, just a, it, like the fact that they might salvage it into something later. The same thing with Daniel Bryan. It's like, yeah, he was great as a heel when he was doing the ecological heel stuff, but like. He, that does not mean they didn't fuck up his babyface return. That should have been the easy layup. So, I don't know. It's all. Is there anything else you want to say about this? Because I want to move on now. Uh, well, <laughs> just that we still don't know what the reason is for Sasha being absent. So I think it's just oh. best. It's best that we hold our tongue on that. Yeah, I, I didn't really say anything. Who, who yeah. the fuck knows? Uh, up next, we had Drew McIntyre. Oh, before, but actually, between matches five and six, they brought out a couple Olympians. I, I, I don't care. I didn't even write their names down. I was so mad. Oh, so, no, no. I mean, was that the gold medalist? Yeah, Gable Stevenson, the other one. I mean, who cares? Are they actually signing there? I couldn't even tell. Um, no, he, he's teasing it because he's taking pictures of him with Vince McMahon and all the people he met backstage. 
Yeah, he knows what he's doing. He was doing. accused of like he's accused of like sexual assault in college or something. Oh, so there's another okay, one I didn't hear that. Mm. Yeah, there, I, I, maybe I should look that up actually before I say. <laughs> I could have sworn <laughs> it was something like that. Let's see, Gable Stevenson. Yeah, he was charged. They they were in a sexual assault investigation when they were in a in in university in Minnesota, but they they ultimately were not charged. But uh, mm. anyway, another another uh, problematic wrestler to bring to WWE. What's a, what a surprise! Uh, match number six: Drew McIntyre defeats Jinder Mahal in four thirty eight. Uh, I, I don't understand the Drew sword thing. Like Drew okay. threatening to <laughs> impale. Impale people with an actual sword. That seems like something someone in WWE might want to deal with. They might want to say, "Hey, Drew, you can't do that. That's not that's not allowed. We don't want you to kill anybody." It's like, what? Where does this go at this point? Like, we're at the point where like someone's going to start bringing a gun to the ring, I guess, and it's not going to be Kami like it is in Big Japan. Like, I I don't know. I mean, they did gouge out Mysterio's eye last year, so that's true. But then it's just, like, this, yeah, this storyline with Drew, like this is one step away from being a Rodney Dangerfield stand-up. Because he, he <laughs> no, no, listen, listen to me. He, he names his sword after his mom. Does that mean he names his battle axe after his ex-wife? <laughs> I ain't getting uh, no specs. Whatever. <laughs> uh, this is just a normal bad nothing match. Drew gets beat up for a little bit, hits a claymore and gender and pins him. The other two come out and Drew chases them off with a sword again. Who fucking cares? Two stars. Drew wanted this to be like a four-star match. Did you see that interview? He, he did yeah. an interview about how, like, you know, because him and uh, Gender are so close friends and have all this time together, they, they want to have this amazing match together. Bad chance. It's a shame because. Seeing... Sorry, no, it's a shame because Gender, I do think he. He does put in the effort, and he does go all guns blazing. The problem is he has no firepower to begin with. Yeah. And, like, look, the he, they must have loved getting the four and a half minutes on the sheet if they wanted to have a four-star match, but I don't know. Uh, after this is where the show picks up for me, though, the, the, for a little bit at least. The Raw women's title three-way match, Charlotte Flair defeats uh, Nikki Shit, the superhero in training, and Rhea Ripley in 13.03. See, so you remember that gimmick, right, with Rosie? It's like it's oh, the yeah. exact same gimmick. It's like, why do we have an amateur superhero again? Uh, well, yeah, it, so it goes deeper than that because um, look at what this is, gimmick is. Like a, a woman who uses a superhero gimmick to try and make herself better, to fit in, to give herself courage. Am I describing Nikki Cross or am I describing Hyper Maseo? Oh, yeah. This gimmick no, works. Think... Like The Hyper Maseo yeah. gimmick is everything this should have been. But WWE has missed the mark on everything with, from the presentation of this. Like, e- even I, if I will it, say, hyper hyper missile at least also like cheats and stuff, which is funny. Th- that's Whereas, what like, I'm thinking. That, that's what I'm going through. Like, yeah. do you want the idea of uh, Nikki thinks she's a superhero, but she doesn't have any superpowers, so she just cheats like hell, and you can turn that into like a Eddie Guerrero comedy gimmick. You can do that. Um, yeah, and Nikki's just, a, Nikki's just a fake superhero loses all the time. <laughs> I know, and that's another story I can do. Like, she won the championship, but she took a shortcut to take it. That should be like yeah. character motivation to better herself, and it's not touched upon at all. Yeah, she just gets her ass kicked by Charlotte because she sucks. Yeah. Uh, so, Rhea Ripley gets a really nice pop here. Nikki gets booed, which I was not surprised by at all. Uh, 
But yeah, but, so Ray gets a great reaction, and then the wrestling starts, and the crowd is fucking dead. Because again, these crowds are here to see entrances and finishers, and that is it. So during the actual match, the crowd is completely fucking dead, and the match is good. I mean, this was a really good match. This is like, these are the matches where I start to get pissed off, because I'm like, these wrestlers are out here doing great stuff, working really hard. You know, Charlotte did this awesome twisting dive to the outside that barely even got a reaction. And they're, they're and working. almost crushed Nikki's head against the guard rail with that. <laughs> it's true. Uh, they, they, they're killing themselves for nothing. These fans don't fucking react to anything until the fucking finish. And it's like, these people who buy these tickets are the worst wrestling fans in history. I cannot fucking stand these crowds. Um, but yeah, I thought this was really good. I thought... You know, Charlotte tapped out Nikki to win the woman's belt back, got a big baby face bop, which was kind of <laughs> funny. Uh, but yeah, this was, I thought up to this point, this was easily a match of the night for me. I thought it was a pretty great three-way. You know, the, the WWE three-way format really has a lot of limitations to it because, you know, it's just you get knocked out, so us two could wrestle. Yeah, that, 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 that's why I, I didn't like out. it as much as you did. Yeah, I get knocked out, format, so you two can wrestle. Which I still like, three oh, oh, sorry, go, say that I, again. I still went, uh, I said I still went three and three quarters, which is about as high as I can go yep, cool. on generic WWE three ways. So I thought this was really good. I mean, Charlotte and Ray Ripley always work great together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Nikki was good. I mean, Nikki was not bad at all. I thought she looked good in there. I mean, Nikki's a good wrestler. It's not the problem with her. It's just this gimmick is so fucking stupid. But uh, you know, the next match, and this was this was the match of the night for me: Edge versus Seth Rollins. Uh, Edge defeat him in 21-15. So going in here, you know, I was worried that they were going to do, like, a really, like, really lay into the NXT melodrama, which I cannot stand. And I didn't think they really did. I thought they, you know, they... The main event did it more. The main event did it more, that is for sure. I mean, there were parts of this match where they, you know, they went a little hard maybe into the stuff about Seth breaking his neck, but that was the story. So, I mean, they didn't, they didn't, they never went so far into it that I felt like it was jarring. Uh, Edge got the full Gangrel Brood theme song. He came out through the pit of fire. That did look pretty fucking cool. Uh, they switched it back to his normal theme song like halfway down the aisle. But at least they, they played the whole Gangrel theme song this time. They didn't just play the first two notes on repeat. They did it on SmackDown the night before, which was really weird and felt like a weird tease. But it's also uh, weird that they just suddenly threw this upon the storyline. That's true too. It was a cool entrance, no doubt about it. I was happy they referenced it, but it's like it still came out of nowhere over the last forty-eight hours. So it was clearly an idea somebody had the last second, but I thought it worked. So Uh, the match started out with uh, you know the two of them kind of like just kind of getting kick at kicking at each other and like getting knocked out of the ring repeatedly. It was weirdly awkward looking early on, but then they really they got their footing after that. Uh, Seth rammed Edge in the ring post on the outside a couple times. Uh, he was like ramming the back edge's head into the steps repeatedly, which looked nasty. And then Seth slowly beat up Edge to almost no heat. And this is the one where I was like, "Really, you don't even care about this match? Like this match? Like you felt like a WWE fan who bought a ticket would care about this match?" And they they didn't make a lot of noise for a long time. Uh, it wasn't until I, I the, the top rope neckbreaker spots was it that when yeah. they woke up. They finally they finally got into the, the spots. But the crowd was so dead for so long. Uh, they just didn't make any fucking noise during Seth's heel heat segment at all. And, you know, I think they did start pump, pumping in the fake crowd noise at one point this, this during this too. 
because you could again hear people like trying to they, they you heard the noise of people rallying for edge but you looked at the camera and everybody's just sitting on their hands doing nothing mm-hmm. so just heel heat segments don't get any reaction uh but you know the in-ring action was good crowd just didn't give a fuck seth then hit a superplex and like rolled through for a falcon arrow again that looked good and it barely got any reaction uh Edge was able to dodge the stomp from Seth, and then he escaped the pedigree as well before hitting his his wife's finisher, the glam slam. Uh, I thought that, that was, was a good cute. touch. Little, yep. cute, yeah, cute little touch to use Beth Phoenix's finisher. Uh, Seth countered a spear from Edge into a quasi pedigree in midair. They they timed that perfectly. That looked really cool. And then Edge uh, speared Rollins, which of course finally got a reaction because they love finishers. But Seth kicked out. Uh, and then the crowd started chanting, this is awesome. I'm like, yeah, so <laughs> awesome. You were barely reacting until five seconds ago. I'm like, these crowds fucking suck. Edge went for the kill switch. I thought that was a cool little thing too. Like, oh, I'll keep it in the fake family here. But Seth escaped, hit his super kick to a kneeling edge. He then went for the stomp, but Edge rolled onto his back and caught his boot to block it. That was, I thought, a very cool counter. I don't feel like they do that very often. First time I saw he then that, put him yep. in the, yeah. He put him in the educator, I guess is what it's called. His submission move, I totally forgot. Yeah, there's educator, there's execution, there's the edomatic, which yeah. it was that reverse X Factor thing. Um, yeah. I, I like the move. The I, I, I always used to move in the, the video games, yeah. Is education the DET? One's the DDT, the other one's the modified Scorpion Deathlock. Um, yeah, so this like an educator, I guess, is a Scorpion Deathlock, yeah. Like an inverted Scorpion Deathlock. Yeah. Uh, he drags Seth back to the middle. Seth gets a roll-up. That would look kind of slow, weirdly. Edge kicked out. He locked on the cross face. And then he started grabbing Seth in the back of the head and just rammed his face in the mat repeatedly. That looked very cool. And then he locked in a sort of sleeper version of the cross face, and Seth tapped out. Uh, this was pretty awesome. The crowd didn't give a shit until the end. Uh, but they, didn't, they did not lean the NXT stuff, like I said, as far as I thought they would. Had some really good action, some really good counter sequences. I went four stars on this. This ended up being my match of the night. Pretty yep, good. Same so the, so the, these two matches back to back, I think, were the highlight of the show. Okay. Um, no, I felt the commentary did the melodrama more than the wrestlers because as Edge was smashing Seth's uh, face against the crowd, against the canvas, the commentary was talking about how he's finally going into that dark place and he's doing insane stuff and whatever. <laughs> and Maybe I'm too used to just watching wrestling from other promotions because I that's like a Jonathan Gresham spot before he does his submission hold. So I'm just seeing that as like, oh yeah, yeah. it's basic sense to smash a guy's face against the ground rather than <laughs> you know demonic coat stuff. Yeah, that's true. But I, I mean, they 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 I, I, like to what way I look at it is like they easily could have gone way too far with that with that whole edge going in the dark place storyline, and they just kept it in in a wrestling you know in a wrestling match. And a wrestling context, and I really appreciated that. So, like, when the whole thing with WWE, right, is like when they let their wrestlers go out there and just have wrestling matches, it's almost always great because they have a lot of great wrestlers. I mean, Bianca Sasha was the same thing. It's like they did not do any bullshit in that match, they didn't do any crazy shit. They just did a very basic uh, storyline of, you know, Sasha the veteran versus Bianca the up and comer, you know, the hungry up and comer, who's better. And it worked really, really well. Same thing here. In a basic storyline of, Edge is mad at Seth. Edge wants to kick his ass. He kicked his ass and won. Very simple. No fucking crazy prop spots. No blood from the ceiling. They just, they just did a fucking match. And it, and it you know, it was great. 
And like it's, this is where you know if they got out of their own way a little more, they could have a lot of more great matches. But they, it's not what this company cares about. So this was what I said at the start of the show when about sports entertainment and how sometimes the mask slips and you see what they really are. But this is an example of that. They they can do pro wrestling well when they want to do it. Like yeah. even Seth Rollins here, like this match reminded me how I he is so much more bearable when I just watch his matches. Because yeah, uh, his sure. character the last few weeks, I can only describe as a fanfic writer's attempt at giving Waluigi personality. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. Yeah, no, it's really. Because seriously, you know, his only characteristic is that he, <laughs> the evil laugh he does that just reminds me of Waluigi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Seth's, Seth's character, I, I enjoy this version of Seth, honestly, but th- I enjoy him because I don't give a fuck about Seth Rollins, so if he wants to go out there and look like a goddamn idiot, uh, you know, then uh, then that's fine with me, I guess. But, you know, his idiot character doesn't, it doesn't entertain me, so I don't, you know, I don't really got any problem. It entertains me a lot more than the architect, Seth Rollins. Da, 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 da. So, anyway. Uh, my main event, speaking of things that did not entertain me, Bobby Lashley with MVP defeats Goldberg by referee's decision in seven minutes and ten seconds. Uh, this felt like seven hours, not seven minutes. I mean, look, this match was only seven minutes, but somehow felt like it went on forever. And I remember I told my, my girlfriend, again, waiting for the show to be over, I told her, I'm like, oh, don't, there's only two matches left, but one of them will be like two minutes long. And they were like, well, let's do a Now's the time to do a much longer match than that with Bill Goldberg. I mean, on a show that's, you know, very long already. Let's just make this drag. Uh, the crowd was dead for the start of this. And then they started booing Goldberg out of the building after a couple of power slams. Yep. Uh, there was this weird mis- miscommunication where Lashley seems to think he's going to get his leg up in the corner. But Goldberg seems to think they're just doing a clothesline. So he just runs right through it and clotheslines him. And then Bill just looks very confused at getting booed. Um, the crowd starts loudly booing Goldberg when he sets Lashley up for the cheer, or the spear, I mean. Uh, and then they cheer the heel manager MVP, pulling MVP, uh, pulling uh, Lashley out of the <laughs> oh, ring no, to so, avoid so, Yeah, so you, you have, I, I thought you were going for the other spot. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah, in a second. Goldberg spears Lashley on the outside anyway. Really fucked that one up, just like Goldberg. Uh, then. Oh boy, we get MVP going to hit Goldberg in the back of the leg with a cane, which sets up everything else that happens for the rest of this match. Goldberg gets hit with this cane, walks <laughs> forward, and then looks at MVP and remembers he's supposed to sell it and goes, ah, and like holds his leg. <laughs> and yep. I'm just like, I was almost crying with laughter. And then the WWE production crew, they fucking replay it. Yep. They replay MVP from a better angle, hitting this man with the fucking cane and Goldberg forgetting to sell it. I was like, what the fuck? How do you replay that? You replayed one of the dumbest looking spots, one of the biggest botches I've ever seen. What are you doing? Just like they, someone in the production truck hates Goldberg. That's the only thing you can think of. Well, that, like, I said earlier, like the show had production problems all over the place. Like the camera work yeah. was, there was a step below. Yeah, uh, Lashley ramps the leg and knee into various things on the outside. Uh, Goldberg can't stand up back in the ring. The ref calls the match off. So a horribly stupid finish on top of everything. 
And then Lashley beats on Goldberg's leg with a chair afterward. He gets cheered for this. Goldberg's <laughs> son tries to come in and help him. Lashley puts him in the full Nelson. The fans cheer again. Even louder. Uh, even louder. MVP claims there's no way Lashley could have known that was Goldberg's son. Nobody cares. They're happy. You Here's beat up Goldberg's son. He got on the microphone to say that, and it was only when he said that when Goldberg noticed what happened. Like This is how oblivious oh, Goldberg has been the entire match. His son has been beaten up, and he didn't realize it until <laughs> MVP said so. And his son looks bored. That's his idea of selling, apparently. He does not look... Like, his son sits up. He does not look hurt. He does not look upset. He looks bored. So, yeah, everything about this was horrible. Negative five stars. <laughs> this and the women's title match were two of the worst things I've ever done. This absolutely fucking sucked in every single way. Send this match <laughs> to Saudi Arabia. That's it. <laughs> that's where it's going next, I'm yep. sure. Along with something else we're about to talk about. Uh, but, yeah, that, that absolutely horrible. Then the main event, uh, the universal title, Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman defeats John Cena in 23 minutes. Correction, Um, correction, correction. It was a three-way match between Roman Reigns, John Cena, and Cena's hair. (laughs) Uh, Cena, Cena's 16 title belts shirt and the graphics scrolling around the whole arena. That was pretty fucking cool. I liked that a lot when he he came out. Okay. Uh, I don't know. You didn't think that was cool? I thought that was cool. Like like I said, the, the computer graphics for the entrances doesn't really do much for me. Yeah, I mean, they usually don't for me either. But there's something about like the combo of like the nostalgia and like putting over that this could be a 17th title so hard that I really liked. I mean, they don't normally do stuff like that. So, uh, Usos uh, did not come down the ramp with Roman. They they stayed in the back. I mean, they came out on the stage and they went back. Uh, and and here's the match where the crowd was actually in the start of this match. Finally, they were finally into a match where the signature moves happened. So this is where it clicked for me. Like, oh. They just all paid their ticket to see this match. And they didn't give a fuck about the rest of this card. Uh, Cena immediately teases trying to pin him with a cradle. Only gets a one count. Uh, Roman and Paul just start openly making fun of the idea that he'll get rolled up. Uh, even when Cena gets a much closer inside cradle for a two count, Roman still makes fun of him. Uh, then Roman starts beating Cena up very slowly while mouthing off with the crowd. Here's what I will say about this. For me personally, John watching, this was way too slow for me. It was also the first thing all night to get any reaction during a heel heat segment. So the live crowd liked it. But I the first half of this match just felt so boring for me. It was uh, you know, punch, Roman would yep. do punch a punch, then he would talk. Punch, talk, punch, talk. Uh you know, I mean, Roman. Uh- if I can make it a comparison, you know how some people complain about Okada's 30-minute matches being like the first 15 minutes don't matter? That's my uh-huh. thought process towards Roman Reigns' matches. The first 15 yeah, minutes don't and matter. Like, and, then, and yet and, there are people and that are... are and, these, and these matches are much shorter than Okada matches. So the first 15 minutes... Oh yeah, but it's, it's something that I dislike and I, the first half does nothing for me, but there's clearly an yeah. audience that tr- lives and dies by this stuff. Yeah, that's for sure. And the crowd there was into it. Uh... So Roman, you know, so here's my thing with Roman. I like Roman Reigns, okay? I don't know how you feel about Roman Reigns. But, like, I think he's such a weird mismatch at this point because, like, as a babyface, I think he is a way better babyface wrestler than he is a heel wrestler for me. I think his babyface comebacks are great. You know, he he took an ass-kicking really well. I mean, he's been in some really great matches as a babyface. 
as a heel wrestler, he doesn't do a ton for me because so much of his heel heat segments are him just slowly punching and talking. Uh, but then as a promo, I don't think he's a very good babyface promo at all, but he's a fantastic heel promo. So he's kind of like, it's like whether he's a face or a heel, he has half the gimp. He has half the, you know, half the package. And he hasn't been able to make it, put the whole thing together yet. If he's a face, he's a great wrestler, but not a great promo. If he's a heel, he's a great promo, but not a great wrestler. It's pretty so, so how much do you think is on him and how much is that on the company? Because I, 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 I go with the latter. Because I, I think Roman is able to carry himself, but it's just everything that surrounds him with WWE is just, it always takes him the wrong direction. They script him. I mean, they do script some of the worst shit for him as a babyface. So I assume the promos for sure is more about the company. Whereas, like, they, it's way easier to script a heel promo than a babyface promo, right? So, but I do think his delivery, too, is just way better as a heel. Uh, Roman, you know, punches him forever, puts Cena in a sleeper. That did not up the excitement level. But then Cena escapes the sleeper, does his normal comeback, uh, does two shoulder blocks, the blue thunder bomb. He signals for the five knuckle shuffle. Roman immediately grabs him in the guillotine. That was very cool. That was a very cool spot. Cena counters it into a jackknife pin attempt. Uh, you know, again, a very cool counter. Roman kicks out and then just nails him with a Superman punch out of nowhere for the first time. Very cool sequence. But then I don't like the the counter they did for the spear with Cena just kicking him. <laughs> when Roman runs in for the spear, he just looks very weak. Uh, but then he does the five-knuckle shuffle, uh, hits the attitude adjustment, but Roman, of course, kicks out. The first AA was like... No way he's going to pin Roman with one attitude adjustment. So uh, Cena puts Roman in the STF. Roman makes the ropes to escape. Uh, somewhat nonsensically, he limps around on the floor and then suddenly leaps up in the air with a huge dropkick to Cena uh, as Cena's eggs in the ring, where it's like, okay, it either like hurts or it doesn't, buddy. Uh, and I think the dropkick missed by a mile, too. Uh, Cena catches Roman running in, though, and then hits the AA through the announce table. That obviously looked cool. He tosses him back in the ring. Roman kicks out again. Uh, Cena goes for his drop kick. Well, not drop kick. That like fucking leg drop he does off the top rope. Uh, but Roman counters with a midair power bomb. Also very cool looking. Uh, and then Roman tries the Superman punch, but Cena counters with a schoolboy for a near fall. Roman then gets the Superman punch, uh, but Cena kicks out. Roman does the big, you know, ooh-ah setup, I guess you would call it, for the sphere. Cena moves out of the way, and Roman collides with the ring post. Uh, Cena then drags Roman the top rope, hits the top rope, AA, but Roman kicks out of that too. That was the one where I was like, okay, that's a little absurd. I mean, the top, maybe they just don't think it doesn't matter. If you completely oh, no, 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 I think this was intentional, because like, we know the meme by now, but it's got to make Roman look strong. The plan for him yeah. is, you know, he, he is at the forefront for this company for the next two, three years. And having him yeah. beat Cena completely, so I'm getting ahead of myself, but having him beat Cena completely, kicking out of the most powerful version of his finishing hold, absolutely intentional. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, I guess from the Cena part of it, it's like we don't care if he kills his finisher because he's going back to Hollywood, but that one felt absurd to me. I would have rather have him kick out of a, another regular AA, honestly. Uh, I did get a very light, this is awesome chance, so that's nice, I guess. Nice, I guess. Uh, but then Cena and Reigns did like these goofy glancing punches that you can clearly see are missing by a fucking mile. Just not what I would have gone to at this point in the match. It kind of took me out of it. And then Roman hit two, hits two straight Superman punches, hits the spear, and that's it. I thought that was super anticlimactic after all that. I mean, just felt like 
That's it. It just <laughs> hits his move and wins. Okay. Well, like, he should have at least hit like. Like, let him hit like three straight spears or something. I don't know. Wasn't there also a part where Cena what tried to do a spear on Roman because he he did the yeah, mocking yeah. pose, and again yeah. I think that was also intentional because it brought back memories of uh, him versus the Rock. He lost to the Rock because he tried to do the people's elbow. That's true. Uh, so I don't know how to rate this one. It, it definitely wasn't bad. It was boring as fucking shit for a long time. Then it finally got really good. I thought. Then. Uh, Rowan kicked out of every move that ever existed and pinned Cena with one spear, which, again, felt like a total anticlimax to me. So I ultimately landed on three and a quarter. That seems to be about where cage match is. It actually came out a little bit lower. Uh, no, a little higher, actually. 7.25. So that's like three and a half. A little over three and a half. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, three and a quarter, three and a half. What's the oh, difference, yeah, no, I think really? that's fair. Yeah, that's about where I am. It definitely wasn't bad. It was not a bad main event. But, like, it wasn't any kind of, like, all-time classic, for sure. And I think that's what they were clearly going for uh, and what, you know, I think people were hoping for for this kind of match. So, uh, anything else you want to say about the match before we get into the post-match? Uh, not particularly. Yeah, I mean, it's good to see Cena can still go, but um, would you say this is this is it for him now? I, well, he's going to do that MSG show. Oh, right, right. Maybe, Never mind. Yeah. maybe maybe he'll face Brock because Brock did beat the shit out of him after the after the show went off the air. So I don't know. Uh, but yeah, but then Brock Lesnar comes out with a weird beard and ponytail. Uh, I saw some people think he look he looks weird. I mean, he doesn't look bad. He just looks weird. Uh, Paul Heyman did a great job looking like he saw a ghost. I mean, he did a great job selling this like you know this man is uh, haunting him from his past. It was a cool end of the show. You know, what I will say, again, it's the same fucking shit three months in a row, right? Where first Edge is the star of the past to come challenge Roman, then Cena, now Brock. They really have only one more ace they can pull out at this point after Brock, obviously, which is The Rock. Yep. After that, I mean, unless you're going to fucking have, like, hello, ladies, hit and have Val Venus come out. Like, we're running out of people. Is Kane going to come out? Uh, are we going to fucking... You know, put Rikishi out. No, no, Rikishi's dead, isn't he? No, no, he's still know. alive. Oh, he's still alive? Okay. His career is dead, but it's, <laughs> no, he's, his career is dead. Maybe Rikishi will come out. I mean, like, so they, they're running out of these old people to face Roman Reigns, and they're not building up anybody. I mean, Big E was in a fucking pre-show match against Broke Baron Corbin. I mean, they are not building up anybody to, to, fake, to take Roman down you know, who's like a current wrestler. It's just all these old people month after month uh, to both give the show a satisfying ending and give Roman a challenger, you know, to make up for the fact that they don't have anybody on the actual roster. So, you know, it's I'm, I'm sure no, seeing all, Brock come out was cool. But. All of their eggs is in Roman's basket because I remember, I think this was going back last year during uh, Observer Radio. I think Meltzer, his understanding was the idea was to do uh, Roman versus Cena, Roman versus Brock, Roman versus Rock, and then turn Roman babyface. So the entire thing is just Roman or nothing. That's all they have. Yeah. But like, why? Why would people want to cheer him after this? I just don't. That's the thing I don't get. Like, why do they think? Like, he doesn't feel like some heel who is on the verge of having huge babyface popularity. I mean, the crowd does not cheer him. So I don't know. I mean, I really wonder how that's going to work. But. Anyway, that's what they're. What else do they have? Right? They have nothing. I mean, else, the, the so. only other storyline I can think of is with the Usos, but uh, I feel like they 
they went away from that direction. There was a point last year where I felt like if they actually did get behind the Usos as a rebellious team under his leadership, and you can get one of them to win the Royal Rumble, maybe, just maybe, you actually could get a WrestleMania main event out of it if you have something else to carry the show. Mm -hmm. But they haven't gone through that direction in ages. Maybe for certain reasons, because uh, the letters D-U-I come to mind. Yeah, you know. Anyway, so there's SummerSlam. I thought overall, you know, pretty bad show. There's some good stuff on it. Uh, there's a lot of really horrible stuff on it. And at the end of the day, it just felt like your your standard, your monument to the everything that makes current WWE terrible. Horrible booking and dead crowds. So In hindsight, it's hard it to believe like- that this show was meant to be like WrestleMania Part 2. <laughs> Because like, even give, like fifty thousand people, Las Vegas Stadium, like that's sorry, yeah, the Las Vegas Stadium, um, which I think was supposed to be getting a WrestleMania at some point instead. But th- this should have been, especially for the weekend that's been, like the signal that wrestling is back. And WWE, yeah. I do not think held up their side of the bargain. I mean, there are a lot of people tweeting shit like, "Oh, SummerSlam is going to be so good. It's going to make everybody forget about CM Punk's return last night." Uh, it, it, it did not. It I will say this: Brock Lesnar's pop for that was the loudest thing I heard in the entire show. Yeah, l- 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 for some, it wasn't the CM Punk levels, but it was clearly that was the biggest reaction was seeing Brock again. Yeah, so that's what they got. They got lots of nostalgia. Uh, there you go. That's SummerSlam. Let's move over to DDT for mm-hmm. Russell Peter Pan 2021, uh, August 21st, also from Saturday. The Fujitsu Stadium Kawasaki, which is that is the same building as the old Kawasaki Stadium, right? Same the, venue. The, the, it, it, it's been knocked down, re, uh, rebuilt, mm-hmm. um, because right. it, I don't think it. It's now currently a football stadium, both American and soccer. soccer. Oh, oh okay. did it used to be soccer? Yeah. Did it used to be only soccer? That's what I was asking. Um, I'm not sure what sport it used to be, but like right now, okay. it's for American football. Right. Uh, so yeah, this show, you know, this was a really good show. I thought like not, not quite the level of like these all time DDT super cards, I think like, you know, probably the next level below that, but you know, I mean, they, they have certain, 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 uh, things holding it back during the COVID times. So. Well, so many things you'd expect from a Peter Pan show was missing. Like you didn't have the battle Royal with the Iron Man title. You didn't really have the celebrity match. Um, there's always like a tag gauntlet. There's always like three or four matches where they just cram in the entire roster that wasn't here. Yeah, I assume part of that is because of COVID. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, but yeah, this I thought I still thought this was a really good show though. And we'll get to the the stuff that really helped it stand out. Uh, it opened up with a, the first under match, which was Yukio Naya and Keigo Nakamura defeating Hideki Okatani and Yuya Kuroku when Naya pinned Kuroku with the choke slam in ten thirty eight. I should mention I'm getting the results off of your site. So uh, if you're you know looking for DET results or coverage, dramaticdet.wordpress.com, it's where you want to go. I should have said uh, that at the start of the show. I just realized. <laughs> we forgot to do it, but yeah, there you go. Uh, Yuki Onaya, he, I, I think he continues to show some small signs of improvement. I don't know if that's a hot take or not. I think slimming down a bit has helped him. He moves a little less awkwardly in there. He still now. needs better gear, though. Like that gear yeah. still looks a bit too big on him. Yeah, but I think he, I think he looks better lately. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with him. Like, I, I've gotten over that because I know the previous times I've been on this podcast, I've uh, given him a hard time. <laughs> uh, 
I think he looks better lately. That's uh, yeah. ever since he slimmed down. I think he looks better. Uh, Kuroku has really has that young lion fire stuff down. Thought he went nuts on Naya here when he finally tagged in, but Naya of course uh, recovered and pinned Kuroku to end a uh, I would say surprisingly long. I mean I did not expect yeah, this to minutes. go over ten minutes, and I thought it was really fun. I went three and a quarter. Everybody tried hard here. I had a good time. Yeah, no complaints here. Um, like Kuroku, I think he's the first uh, rookie to be fully trained under John Akiyama as well. Oh, that's cool. So, or at least uh, the the first one uh, when Akiyama came in. Um, yeah, yeah. So let's move on. I, I think that's really all I have to say about that. <laughs> Sorry. The, it's okay. The second undermatch is the Electric Current Explosion Eight Man Tag Death Match at Onita. Shinshiro Takagi, Akito, and Maki Ito. They defeated the team of Kuro-chan, uh, Super Sasadango Machine, Tetsuhiro Kuroda, and Hikari Noah. Onido pinned Kuro-chan after a current blast bat attack in 935. Um, what was up with Akito's, like, salary man attire? Is that, like, some FMW reference that went over my head or something? No, but he's the vice I president. Never, I never watched him. Oh! Oh! <laughs> well, there you go. That's probably why he was wearing that outfit. I completely forgot about that. Uh, Kuro-chan was very scared of this electric current bat, so he put poor Hikari Noah in in his way as like a human shield. But Sasadango saved the day anyway, and then he held Onita to take the uh, bat shot from Kuro-chan. Uh, Hikari Noah, she broke a chair over Takagi's head, then like <laughs> skipped happily over to the corner to hit the button to make the bat start, which was so fucking funny. And then she uses the electric current bat on Takagi. Uh, that was one happy gal to uh, use that electric current bat. Uh, Maki Ito hit the switch, but then Noah got a bat as well, and they did the big exploding bat collision. Yeah, that, that was the spot of cool. the match. Uh, Ito low-blowed Kuro-chan from behind while he was holding on a chair. He collapsed to his knees, still holding the chair, and Onita hit the chair with the bat. I thought a pretty clever way for him not to take it directly. And then Onita pinned him. Then he poured a lot of water on him afterwards, which is funny. Uh, I would, didn't really feel like star rating this, but it was a it was a blast as a spectacle, you know. I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot more fun than uh, a lot of Onida's previous uh, explosion matches he's been doing the last few years. Like there, yeah. there was just enthusiasm there um, from a lot of the people involved. Like it, it, having Hikari and Maki Ito, like that, they were thrilled to be out there. Like you, you could, you said it yourself. Hikari was skipping everywhere. Um, and it, like they they didn't hold back either. Like they they were throwing stiff forearms at each other at the start of the match. If you noticed, yeah, they yeah. really did not hold back at all. Yeah, and the other thing is that you know they had that st- uh, a walkway stage for, by the entrance, which was kind of unneeded. But uh, you notice how those steps on both ends, Onita completely avoided it. He he just walked around it. He's in no state to yeah. walk in any steps. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, Kento Kobashi, poor that, that poor fucker. Like someone should have just helped him up the stairway. I think. Yeah. Uh, then we had the start of the main card with a special type ten man tag team match. The debuts of El Unicorn and Illusion, uh, Harashima, Naomi Yoshimura, Yusuke Okada, Rainbow Imai, and El Unicorn defeated Yuji Okabayashi, Tamura, Mizuki Watase, Yuki Ino, and Illusion. Unicorn paint illusion with the modified double knee stomp in eleven forty four. So t- talk about illusion and, and unicorn. They're basically from this new DDT teenage initiative. 
Yeah, uh, over the last year, DDT has been secretly training, I think it's 14 ages um, from the age of 13 to 18 to be pro wrestlers. Uh, the 13-year-old old unicorn has previously been in DDT. Um, should I just straight up say who he is or should I leave that a secret? Like, if if you paid know, attention yeah. to DDT in the last 18 months, you know who the kid is. Not many 13-year-olds. Uh, what's that? Oh, it's, it's, it's what's his name? The yep. uni? Ah, that makes sense. The, the puns in the name. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, the, the idea DDT has is um, they want to make this a separate brand. They will be wrestling on DDT shows when they can, but ultimately they want to just train this entirely new generation of wrestlers uh, at a young age, which is a. Uh, <laughs> it's an awkward subject, especially after you've heard what happened in America and Europe with speaking out and how a lot of the young wrestlers that get trained are just not under the right care. So I've, I can't confidently say DDT is doing it a safe way. I've no idea what their training practices are like. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's going to be an awkward subject to kind of talk about as the things go on, unless they get clear and explain what it is that they are doing with these uh, students. Yeah. So uh, it's very it's very interesting, right? And part of it's because of what the, the, you know, they've been comparing a lot to, like, the teenagers who won – you know, the gold medals in skateboarding, right? That was used as, like, a motivation for the debut yeah. matches, but, like, this has been going on since before. Oh, right, right, right. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't know what the inspiration was to do this. Like, I don't know if there's, like, a, a separate push uh, in another format or in another sport to get young players in and space on that, because like a lot of DDT's ideas are just copying what other businesses are doing sometimes. Right. Well, it's interesting either way. Uh, you know, the teenage wrestlers did try to do a lot of jumping around. Now, all of it looked perfect, but they really tried. Uh, and Unicorn pinned Illusion here to end a pretty fun 10-man tag. Again, I went three and a quarter on this. Pretty fun stuff. They gave them a lot because there was a big spot when the other eight wrestlers were dueling over like a, a multi-man suplex spot. And the two of them stood on top of the pile and started wrestling each other on top of the pile. So they yeah. ended, ended up with Illusion there, suplexing Unicorn off, which looked bad to take, but he seemed to be okay. And since then, Unicorn had... He did a Dragnorana spot. He did, a, I think, a Moonsault spot onto the outside. Uh, Unicorn himself did... Oh, sorry, not Unicorn. Illusion did some uh, stereo dive with Mizuki with Ace. So, uh, and then it ended with uh, Unicorn. If you remember seeing uh, Pac would do the spot where he would do a stand on his opponent's shoulders and then drop down. Unicorn did this, but uh, ends it with a version of a double knee strike like uh, the Meteor. Mm. Yeah, that, that did look pretty cool. Uh, the so, second match yeah, but here... so, I mean, oh. just, just one last thing. is like It's pretty crazy that we're doing a 13-year-old and an 18-year-old just doing like, Dragon Gate spots. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. But, I mean, you, once once you remind me who Unicorn was, makes a lot, I mean, he's been training for a while now. So. Yep. Oh, yeah. This was a kid who um, was tweeting videos of himself doing, like, Cancun tornadoes on his bed. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's no, he knows what he's doing. Uh, so, match number two. I'm going to read all these off. Double ring, double singles match. Toro Washi defeated Antonio Honda with a schoolboy. Uh, Dancho Godino defeated Kazuki Hirata with a schoolboy. Both 11 seconds. Rematch. Awashi versus Honda, no contest. Dino versus Harada, no contest. Both 128. Another rematch. Awashi, Honda, and Daisuke Kiso defeat Dancho Godino, Kazuki Hirata, and Yuki Nori Matsuri. 
when Kiso pinned Matsui with a cradle in 253. Those last two people, if you don't recognize the names, they are referees. Uh, so this match started out with these two matchups in two separate rings. Um, I will say this is like the one thing I was spoiled on where the cage match card spoiled me because it obviously tells you like all these, all these stuff's going to happen, you know, yeah. even at the result. So, uh, I, I did think it was funny. We got simultaneous ring announcements for the two matches and simultaneous entrance themes being played for each pair of wrestlers. Uh, then they get they the schoolboys in 10 seconds. That was kind of funny. They, they synchronized the matches. Yeah, they really did. They restarted the matches in the same ring, but then the referees started fighting with each other, which was very funny. Uh, the matches both get thrown out. We get restarted as a six-man tag with a ref on each side, and <laughs> Matsuri is like doing this super long setup for a brainbuster with a really long throat cut, like throat slash setup. That was really funny, and then he gets them all the way up. But then Daisuke reverses it to a uh, inside cradle for the pen. Pretty funny stuff here. I, I enjoyed like, this. That that was a good nod to Kikutaro. Oh, that's what he was doing. Yeah, because okay. there was that. There was also uh, the coin tie pose spot. You know the the three way coin tie spot. Mm-hmm. So they, they, he he did a lot of uh, shout outs during that. Um, yeah, we forgot to mention this two rings set up for this show. This is the only match that used the second ring. Yes, that is really funny. Because I, I think the, yeah, the, the, the original, I know the original plan was supposed to be the death match in one ring, everything and everything else. But then they came up with the idea of doing Onita in the pre-show. I, I think that's all kayfabe, the, uh, Onita demanding to be on the pre-show and secretly getting himself in the main ring and whatever. But I, I've no idea why else they did the double ring other than just a, was it a five-minute segment? Yeah. It's something, something like that. I think, like, I think the total, the total time is yeah, probably like about seven minutes or something. Yeah. So, uh, match number three was a hardcore tag team match. This was even better than I thought it would be, honestly. Uh, Chris Brooks and Jun Kasai defeated Mao and Shuma Katsumata. Brooks pinned Mao with the Praying Mantis Bomb in fourteen oh three. These four dudes did tons of crazy shit. Uh, we got the Legos involved. They spread them out all over the ring. Shuma takes his shoes off like an absolute psychopath. Uh, Kasai kind of looked like he was going to take his boots off too, but took too long, so Shuma attacked him. Uh, Shuma then did a fucking barefoot double stomp into the Legos where Kasai rolled out of the Moonsault ring. Moonsault double stomp. Moonsault double stomp. That looked horrible yep. for him. <laughs> I mean, my God. They keep doing tons of sick shit in the Lego piles. We got the skewers to Mal's head. Brooks gives Shuma a Death Valley driver off the apron onto four chairs on the floor. Brooks then gives Mao a double arm suplex off the ladder onto the Lego pile. I'm like, what? These guys are trying to kill each other with Legos. Uh, then he like shotgun drop kicked him into the, into the uh, plexiglass containers in the corner. Shuma tries to springboard in the ring, but then gets cut in the fucking stomach by June holding a blade. I was like, wow. We just Where the, the hell did match. that come from? I don't know. That was like, what the fuck? And then he holds the blade in his mouth for a double praying mantis bomb, and Brooks pins Mal. I mean, this this match was crazy. This was like this is the show. It, it probably is mine too. It's really I, I gave the same rating to three matches. I think this would be my favorite. Uh, this absolutely rolled. These two teams fucking killed each other. Uh, it was more. It looked like more like a death match than a hardcore match at times, except with Legos. And they are all insane people. I went four and a quarter. Really, it's just watch this. Watch this match. 
you know, th- there was a lovely touch I saw early in the match where they, they had like giant Lego blocks that stacked up. There was like a, a bundle of light tubes. And the, the way he, uh, I think it was Sean, the way he threw the light tubes at his opponents was the exact same way you do it with a bundle of light tubes to avoid getting cut. It was a lovely touch. Um, it was it was it was such a cool match. Yeah, like, it was crazy because I, I think uh, Brooks also did like uh, an Alabama slam into a ladder. But that's I heard someone said it was like a tropical Yahoo. Was that like a ghetto move? Uh, call out or something? Maybe I don't. I don't watch ghetto moves. So I can't tell ah, you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, another thing was one of the jokes in the build-up to this show is how uh, Jun Kasai hates stepping on Lego. There was a TV show in Japan where he appeared and they did different experiments to find out what his pain threshold was. And for some reason, stepping on Lego caused him the most pain. So that was, <laughs> that was the entire build-up for this match. That's funny. That's really funny. I didn't even know that. Yeah, which is unfortunate. I think the payoff was that he was supposed to get his boots off and wrestle barefoot, but he just he couldn't get it done in time. Yeah, that's kind of funny. Uh, match number four, the KOD six-man tight team titles. Tipsy Endo, Soma Takao, and Yuji Hino defeat Katsada Higuchi, Yukio Sakaguchi, and Saki Akai. Hino pinned Akai with the fucking bomb in 1134 for their third defense. So they told a very simple story here with Hino and, and Saki Akai, but it really worked. We're like, from the last Corrigan last week, he refused to chop her. Like, she's telling him, you know, I want you to chop me. I want you to treat me like any other wrestler, and he won't do it, uh, you know, out of, you know, sexism and all that. Yeah. So we start right out with Hino and Saki. He once again refuses to chop her. He just leaves the ring, and this again infuriates her, uh, but so much to cow you know, broke things up before any, anyone could do anything else. They show Kenta Kobashi on commentary for some reason. I can only assume because he was like, uh, I have finally found a worthy successor in Isaki Akai. But I assume that's what he was saying. Uh, Endo and Soma, they have no problem chopping Saki Akai in the corner, unlike Yuji Hino. But Hino then comes in and puts his hands behind his back for Saki to attack him. She tries to form and elbow him in the chest instead. Obviously, it has no effect. And he just backs her into the corner like it's nothing, just kind of like moves forward without even doing anything else. Uh, Saki, though, finally gets smart and tries to use her biggest weapon against Hino. She starts kicking the shit out of him. That does have an effect. She kicks him right in the head, actually manages to stun him for a second. But then uh, when she tries for a top rope cross body, the rookie of the year, he catches her in midair and just gently places her back down against the ropes with the most condescending clean break of all time. I thought that was, I've never seen a clean break off a crossbody. That was something. Uh, Saki then gets so mad, she fires up with slaps to the face and more kicks. She hits a sweep kick that takes him down to the mat. And then Hino finally chops her. And in a weird way, that's Saki's success. That's yeah. what she wanted all along. She wanted to be treated like a pro wrestler in the ring with Yuji Hino. Mm-hmm. And Saki keeps going after him. Hino keeps chopping her back down, but she won't quit. Hino finally gives her a big standing lariat, but she still kicks out. And then he sets Saki up, gives her the fucking bomb, pins her with one hand, uh, and that is it. Then he holds his face afterward. He looks a little surprised, but also a little happy, which I thought was funny. He's like, ah, this this woman can't hurt me. And, you know, it was a really interesting story they told here. A fun but short match. I went three and a half stars on the match, but just more into the, the story with Saki and Hino. And then Hino in the post-match even just says, he's like, again, this is from DET English Update. He says, hey, woman, 
like I said before, you're a pretty woman, but this time I'll add that you're a really tough wrestler too. So that was a cool little moment. And, you know, Saki seemed happy on Twitter too. So I thought that she was like, oh, I'm in pain, but good kind of pain or something. So this is a really cool little story. A really good story. And uh, I think it was a good follow-up for her feud with Chris Brooks earlier in the, in the year. So they've done a lot to kind of make Akai a relevant wrestler within the company without having to go into like uh, silly gimmicks or anything like that. Like they, they, mm-hmm. give, they are giving her a lot of opportunities to wrestle serious matches. And, she, and she's benefiting yeah. from it. Yeah. And she's, I mean, she's improved so much since she started. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really, it's really kind of crazy. Uh, we've talked about that on the show a million times. Though, so. Oh, yeah. I think everybody, I, I, everybody knows I like Saki Akai. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing is, um, he know was asked, was that the first time he ever gave the move to a woman? And I, th- I think he said that uh, Asuka was actually the first person he, or the first woman mm-hmm. he uh, did that to. So, yeah. I don't know. Like, has he done much into gender matches? You know, probably not. Yeah, probably not. So, but he that would the Oscar would have been that's Oscar's in Vaney, I think. But, right? Yes, yeah. But uh, I, I yeah. want to say it was maybe zero one because I know I was going to say zero one. She, she she was in the fire yeah. festival a few years ago. That yeah, sounds she like was it. In a, she was in Voodoo Murders too. So, uh, the semi main event, the DT Universal Title. Daisuke Sasaki defeats Yuki Ueno with La Mystica crossover face lock in 1720. Ueno falls in his seventh defense, and Sasaki becomes the fifth universal champion. Uh, this was another really awesome match. It started out pretty fast. Uh, then Ueno ended up on the floor, and Sasaki took the ref so Pauly could throw Ueno into the, into the ring post. Uh, Sasaki absolutely nailed Ueno in the face with the universal title bout at one point. That was just before the five-minute call. And that sends Ueno rolling out to the floor. When he finally comes back up, he is bleeding an absolute gusher. I mean, this is great Muda shit. I mean, this is like great Muda level blade job here. This is like a fucking, the, one of the goriest blade jobs I've seen in forever. Uh, a very, uh, I'd, I'd say the same, but Kyo Kiyomiya is just going through a tear right now. So, like, if only that angle wasn't happening at the same time. Although, I wonder if this is a, in, something intentional because. I feel oh, like those Kiyomiya's two are kind of linked. I, I, I haven't been keeping up with Noah. Kiyomiya has been bleeding a lot. I didn't even know that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like ever since um, he lost to was a Muta, I think. But yeah. uh, he he had a match with the sour of all people, bled a gusher, and now ever since then he's just been bleeding everywhere. I see. Uh, I need to get caught up on Noah because I'm gonna watch the N one victory soon. Uh, a very bloody Ueno. Just barely rolls back in the ring to break a 20 count. Then he immediately rolls back out. Uh, Sasaki beats him up back in the ring. He's like punching the cut, sending him in the exposed turnbuckle. Uh, but then the very bloody Ueno just starts grinning at him. I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, but then Sasaki puts a stop to any kind of comeback with a DDT. And then he suplexes Ueno off the top rope onto a whole pile of guys on the floor. Really cool looking spot. And then Pauly holds Ueno in a chair at the ringside table. Sasaki leaps off the top rope and just barely reaches him for an elbow. Very sick little leaping elbow there. Uh, Sasaki pedigrees him back in the ring, super kicks him for good measure, but I uh, still can't pin him. Ueno kicks out. Sasaki goes right to the cross face though when Ueno kicks out, but he's able to make the ropes. Uh, there's kind of a weird spot after that where like, okay, I don't, it's just kind of a botch, I guess. Sasaki goes for an elbow off the top rope on Ueno. I guess the idea was supposed to be that Ueno got his legs up 
and Sasaki would hit his legs instead of his face. But it looks like he just soared right past the legs and just hit the elbow drop, which must suck way more for Ueno because he's he can't he doesn't know what's coming, right? He's not prepared to be hit with an elbow in the in the upper body because he's thinking Sasaki's gonna hit his legs. So, you know, I when you can't like tense yourself because you don't know you're gonna hit with that elbow, it must suck even more. Mm-hmm. Uh but Ueno was smart though. Like he he sold it like he got hit. Like, so he, they, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Like, he didn't just pop right up. He did sell it like he got hit with the elbow. So, uh, Ueno fought off Mad Polly when he tried to interfere, and he gave Sasaki a half-Nelson suplex on the apron, then did a huge moonsault on, off the top rope onto both of them. Almost overshot them, but didn't really. Oh, the uh, my thing is telling me about my flash flood running. Okay. <laughs> we, we have a... Oh, yeah. Are you doing okay with the hurricane over there? Yeah, it's not quite hitting us directly. It's, got, it's hitting Long Island more. So, uh, But that's what that beep noise was, just so people know. Anyway, oh, is my phone... I hope my phone's not going to start going crazy. Yeah, so flash flood warning. I got it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so Ueno... Uh, where was I here? Ueno, like, does that big moonsault just, just before the 15-minute call. The referee accidentally gets bumped in the corner which leaves Sasaki open to hit a low blow. He goes for his Rana that he's beaten Ueno with before, definitely in the King of DET, and I think maybe one other time as well. Uh, but Ueno hits this perfect powerbomb counter. She just fucking tosses him down to the mat with this powerbomb when Sasaki leaps up for the step-up Rana. It looked absolutely perfect. He avoids a second low blow, eventually hits the double-jump moonsault, but Sasaki kicks out. Sasaki, though, suddenly counters Ueno with the La Mystica, into that cross, the crossover, crossface or whatever, out of nowhere. And that's the finish. Ueno has no choice but to submit. I thought this was an absolute war. I thought it rocked. You know, a little minor complaints here or there, like, you know, the phantom elbow drop or whatever, but like the phantom blocked elbow, I should say. And the finish maybe felt a little out of nowhere, but like, not really in a bad way. Uh, four and a quarter is what I gave this to, uh, this one. I thought this was really good. Yeah, it felt like it's been a while since I've seen a Sasaki match like this because he's had a rib injuries kind of uh, holding him back. But th- 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 this entire storyline kind of felt like a rehabilitation for him because th- the story going in was he stole the Universal title from Ueno and has been walking around with it, treating it like his own. So in a weird way, even though he won the championship, this also kind of came off like a title defense the way he won it. Yeah. Because he had stolen the belt too, so yeah. Uh, but I, so this is a Wano's two hundred ninety-one day reign, dating back to Ultimate Party on November third. Finally comes to an end. Uh, Sasaki is now the fifth champion in his second reign with the title. He's also the second champion. What do you think for Wano? What's do you think he's gonna? I could see them putting him in a. Uh, even though they're in the same unit, I could see him going for the KOD title against Takashita. I think he's gonna be like the next, the, not the next ace, but. Uh maybe a year or two away, he's going to be like the new babyface champ they want to build around. Um, yeah. His Universal title run has been great. I encourage everyone to go seek it out because this is going yeah, to be... If, if anybody missed the match at Yusuke Okada, especially, that's like uh, even better than this. I went four and a half on that one. That was a Corican main event from earlier in the year. Yeah, uh, this is where I wish DDT got more coverage because so many people I know he's would love so this good. guy. Yeah. He, and he's been so good. Yeah. Uh, then we have the main event for the KOD Openweight title. Kanosuke Takashida defeats Yu Nakayama 
with the modified chicken wing, chicken wing face lock in 2443. Junakyama fails in, in his fourth defense, and Takashita becomes the 77th KOD Openweight Champion. Uh, Takashita had a new big match intro. That was cool. We need to bring big match intros back to wrestling. They were so cool. So, uh, Yeah, I'm not sure if that's... Uh, the song he uses is from uh, some band's album, so I don't know if that's like the full proper version or if it was uh, made just for the show. Yeah. So uh, then we have uh, Kobashi heading to the ring to hold up the KOD open weight belt uh, between Akiyama and Ueno. That was very cool. The, the belt itself is always like one of my most underrated belt designs. It's just such a cool looking belt. It looks nothing like any other company's world title where a lot of them can look kind of derivative of each other. Well, yeah, it has like um, it's all plate on plate on plates kind of format yeah. to it. Yeah, it's very unique. Uh, Akiyama, he goes really hard on Takashita right from the start, unsurprisingly. It's a big knee to the back of his neck while he's draped across the apron. Ueno uh, eventually, or not Ueno, I'm sorry, Takashita. I don't know why I wrote down Ueno. Takashita eventually hits a very nice Tope Kanhilo uh, to Akiyama on the floor. But he can't go any momentum going as they get back in the ring and June just like levels him with a huge counter Larry at the moment they're back in there. Uh, Takashita tries to just beat the shit out of Akiyama with elbows, but Akiyama basically no-sells him. They go back and forth trading suplexes, uh, you know, Germans from Takashita and exploders from Akiyama. Then they trade big boots, but before they finally collide with on a uh, double lariat and both go down, that whole sequence is probably my favorite part of the match. I mean, just really... Uh, you know, classic Puro, but like p- classic Puro stuff that these two executed so well. Uh, Takashita survives an exploder suplex barrage from Akiyama and puts him down with this huge release German, followed by his running knee. But June is able to get the rope break when Takashita goes for the pen. Uh, Takashita makes this huge charge of three straight knee strikes, then these big standing knees that look like they just about kill Akiyama, but he still manages to kick out. And then Takashita follows up with his cross-armed uh, German suplex hold. Then he rolls from that into his cross-armed chicken lock uh, instead of holding the bridge. I didn't love that spot. I mean, it, it's one of these things where I think it sounded cooler in his head than it actually looked. Like, yeah, the submission move is very clunky whenever he tries to put it on. So, and like he didn't, he had to kind of like like the transition from the bridge to the submission didn't look that cool. Like he had to let go of his arms in the position they were in to put the submission on anyway. So I think it sounded cooler in his head than it actually looked. But yeah, uh, that was the finish though. The finish was a little flat, uh, especially with the, uh, the kind of flash submission, the last match too. I would have rather seen Takashita get the big pinfall, but you know, yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the story, the story going into this match was that Akiyama has made him submit the previous two times mm, they faced each other. That's true. And this move, that, this move Takashita is doing was pretty much invented to try and beat Akiyama. Well, there you go. So I'm an idiot. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, no, the, the thing is, like, we've seen this with uh, Okada and the Money Clip and uh, the Red Ink. Like, he create, creates yeah. these submission moves and then stops using them, and they never win matches. So I was actually worried the same was going to happen here because he did the move midway through the match, and Akiyama made the rope break. So I thought that would be the end of that storyline, and he'd be going on to win with his uh, cross arm German suplex. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but this overall though, this was still an awesome match. I still went four and a quarter on this again. Uh, they really beat the shit out of each other here. 
It never quite got to that next level for me of four and a half plus, but I still really enjoyed it. Uh, great way to cap off a very strong show. You know, anytime you have three four and a quarter star matches, I mean, you know, it's a very strong show with a lot, some funny stuff too on the undercard. The the Hino Saki story in the six fan tag match that I really liked. Just you know, there was nothing bad on this show. Everything was fun. So yeah, it's a really nice show. Um, just a shame that. The attendance was kind of low. It was only like 1,336 people. Yeah. I, I think that was the expectations they had for it. Like, I wasn't expecting a, you know, 5th of May FMW attendance for this. Um, Like, uh, maybe like the good comparison would be like on the regular times, this might be a show they do at like Auto Ward. That kind mm. of comparison. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't quite a sumo hall show or anything above that. But like when they do, when they do an arena like Old Awards Gymnasium, it will be on mm-hmm. the level of that. Exactly. Uh, afterward, Chris Brooks came out to challenge Takashita. Uh, he pointed out that Takashita hasn't beaten him since 2019, and he's one in three against him overall. So that title match is set for the September 26th Corican. Pretty good Japanese for Chris Brooks. Made me feel inadequate, and I got to study more. <laughs> I mean, he's been living uh, there for two years now. Exactly. There you go. Uh, Takagi then presents Takashita with some big kind of peel-off sign. That turns out to be first EDT show at Yoyogi uh, Gym number two on December 26th. So I guess that's your ultimate party? They did say a name, and I, I don't know yeah. what the venue is like. So, like, December 26th, around Christmas time is when DDT does their final uh, self-produced uh, and Hole show of the year, like not including mm-hmm. the New Year's Eve show. So yeah. I think it's replacing that. Okay, but it'll probably be the that'll be where the uh, the what's it called the the uh, Do winner will get their title shot, I assume. But I guess yeah, they, they, that's possible. Uh, somehow this is already Takashita's fifth time as KOD Openweight Champion. That's kind of crazy. This dude's only twenty six, uh, and this is also <laughs> his first time. Winning the belt in almost two years, which feels like it hasn't been that long, but it has been that long. He, uh, he and he he, he already has like the most title defenses, and I don't, I don't know if he has the longest reign, but like the, the the company's been built around him for like the last six years, I think now. Yeah, let's see if he has the longest reign. I'm curious about that because uh, that's very easy to look up. He, he has so the most the single title reign. defenses. I know that. Yeah, yeah, he does have the longest reign by a lot. Actually, his reign yep. from. Uh, that started March 20th, 2017, a judgment that went 405 days. And the next longest reign is Toro Washi in 2006 at 271. So, I mean, that is a... That, that, that is a lifetime ago when you see what a Washi is like <laughs> now. Like, yeah. he was a very it different had, wrestler 20 years ago. <laughs> individual defenses in a reign, he has the most of those. He has 11 defenses in that same reign. Uh, second place is Shigehiro Irie from 2013. He had eight defenses in his reign. Uh, third place, Hiroshima from 2014, who had seven defenses. And then, like you said, co- combined defenses, he's way behind. He's still got a long way to go to catch up to Hiroshima. He has 17 defenses uh, in five reigns, and Hiroshima has 27 defenses in 10 reigns. So, so yeah, this, this, is what ta- reign, I guess. this is what Takashida's role is in the company. He is what Hiroshima was a decade ago. He, he's going to yeah. be the backbone, he's going to be the guy they always rely on. Um, like he he is going to be the DDT guy. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, he's got a long way to go to catch Rashomon combined days too. 
He's at 654. Uh, and Inarashima is at 1,314. So got a while to go to catch up on all these all-time reigns. All-time records, I should say. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of is kind of funny. Hiroshima is the one who beat him for the title two years ago at the extreme open weight double title match, Ultimate Party, November 2019, when they kind of hilariously built beat New Japan to the uh, double title punch by like two months. But, uh, you know, that it's just crazy to think that it's been two years since this guy's held the title almost. But, you know, it still is only already his fifth reign. Uh, but yes, there's Peter Pan. Uh, anything else you want to say about the show before I get into it, the questions we got? Oh, no, just a really fun show. Um, <laughs> I'm I don't know what to think about uh, him and Chris Brooks because their matches sometimes they're good, sometimes they don't get along. Like Brooks is not really that interesting as a single wrestler. He, he I, I don't know what it is with him. Like tag wrestling. Even the intergender wrestling, he has everything down. He knows what to do. But just a one-on-one match with another man is just something is missing. And I don't quite get it. Hmm. Well, it, it it's a weird thing. And, and this has gone all the way back to when he was a regular in the UK as well. Like just When he doesn't have a... You know, I'm trying to be careful with my words here. But... Yeah, just a one-on-one regular match, no gimmicks, no uh, intergender, no stipulations or anything like that. There's always something missing with him. But when you do tag matches, he knows his spots and when to do them. When he does gimmick matches, he knows how to work around them. I think with intergender, uh, what works there is the size difference, obviously. like He can do the giant versus uh, underdog match against anyone, but that doesn't work when he wrestles men. Because he can be tall, but he's still a very skinny guy. Yeah. So, I guess we'll see what happens, really. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll, I'll give him a chance, because like the other two real good friends in real life, I'm sure they will do whatever they can to make each other shine. There you go. So let's get into these questions real quick. Uh, from the Discord, the VOW Discord, uh, Rika Tatsumi. Not the real Rika Tatsumi, but that's, that's his username. Uh, he's, how many different Tokyo Joshi team names can Jamie name in 30 seconds? Should I time you? Okay. Hold on. Let me just... I'm, Scout's on it. My web browser is off. It's only on the page where we are recording. I do not have my website on. I do not have the lost <laughs> pages on, so... All right. Ready? Okay. Go on. All right. 30 seconds starting now. Okay, uh, Neo Bishiki Gun, uh, Bakuretsu Sisters, uh, B Star, uh, Super Milk Combination. Um, uh, here we go. Uh, can I count the jo- Tokyo Joshi uh, Freedom Fighters? That was the King of Trios team. Um, sure. Uh, Brave Mates, uh, the original Bishiki Gun, if I can cheat on that. Uh, <laughs> All right, you're done. Ah, man. Seven. Oh. <laughs> seven is not too bad. So there you go. That's the answer. Seven is seven is the answer, apparently. Okay. And half of them are old teams that don't exist anymore either. I noticed that. <laughs> so at least I put in uh, efforts. I put in efforts. I know the old you stuff. Did put, you did put in effort. Let's see on Twitter. We got some Twitter questions too. Uh, Ice Age Coming says, if you could book any DDT versus WWE match, what would it be? Can be singles, tag, whatever steps you want. Hmm. 
Yeah, I, I wonder. It, it, hmm. It's a hard one, right? Yeah, it's a hard one. No, 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 I mean, I can kind of twist that and say, I wish if Money in the Bank, that the one they did in the WWE headquarters, if DDT put that together, like that's something I'd that wish would, awesome. would happen yeah. because they know how to do a comedy match. WWE doesn't. Um, oh, jeez. I can't think of anything where I'm like, oh, I gotta do that. Um, I mean, they, they can beat good stuff. Like, I think Takashita and Adam Cole would actually tear the house down. Mm. Um, Tatsuya and I'm trying to get yeah, like Tatsuya and Logic strong like that's that that's a good yeah. mix of styles. Um, oh man, come, let me think if I. We want to go the whole DET system, uh, like Bianca Belair versus Miyu Yamashita would be awesome. You know what? Ask her and Miyu Yamashita. Can we do that? There you go. There's another one. Uh, I, I think mine would be Bianca and Yamashita. Asuka and Yamashita is great too. I mean, you know, those are those all sound great. Uh, oh, well, yeah. no, hold on. I think Shotzi Blackheart and Hikari Noah. Okay, there you go. Why and hardcore wields. Hardcore, because they will hardcore. kill each other to try and make that work. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jet Jaguar Jew, a uh, former guest here, he says, why would you willingly watch WWE? Because I wow. was invited. <laughs> uh, the answer for me is because... I thought it would be fun to review SummerSlam. Boy, was I wrong. Uh, <laughs> also, I got an opportunity here to try and... Uh, I might have an opportunity to explain like why I prefer DDT comedy over WWE comedy. I, I actually don't know if I got a chance to explain that yet. No, no, and please, I, please, go ahead. I, I just feel like th- there's so much more care and attention put into DDT's way of doing comedy here. There, there is thought put in. There is a references that go beyond just hey we saw this on tv um the wrestlers themselves seem to have a lot of input over what they do and what they understand and i just i don't ever get that from wwe it kind of helps that there's a language barrier like if i fully understood japanese the chances are i might not see any charisma coming from half of these people doing what they do but it's just there's so much more uh enthusiasm when i see ddt doing sports entertainment than from WWE, which is just, as the years go by, become more and more cynical and scripted and just done for the sake of making content. Yeah, the DET stuff, you can tell they actually like doing what they're doing and they're doing it out of love. And WWE looks like a forced prison march. So probably why they keep com- the wrestlers leave, keep comparing it to prison. Uh, Beth at Love Songwriter says, do the impossible and make a defense for the Becky versus Bianca debacle. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, oh, what? look at the time. Look at the time. I have to get... <laughs> I really have no idea. Okay. Uh, if, I am if, Irish okay, if, Becky if, won. If, hooray. If, if your goal was to make Bianca Belair look as stupid as fucking possible... They did a great job. Congratulations. If that was their goal to make Bianca look fucking dumb as hell, congrats. They did an awesome job. That's my best defense. I'll end it with uh, this. Let it play out. <laughs> Ryan Dilbert says, best match of Akiyama's reign. Uh, my answer for this is Akiyama versus Don Shokudino. I love that match. I thought that was like the, the once a year 
uh, Dino serious match where he, you know, does all his stuff, but is trying to win the KOD title. Uh, it, it was just up there at the, uh, the, the, the title challenge he had against uh, Shuji Ishikawa for the best one of those. Uh, and I just thought that I, I went four and a half stars in that match. I love that match. So that's my answer. I was going to go with his title win over Endo. Um, now, part of because I, I, yeah, but, like, number two. I, I'm like just a big Endo mark anyway, but uh, yeah. th- th- that was just um, Akiyama's kind of introduction into DDT, but against who was the best wrestler from the company at the time. I would recommend yeah. seeing the Dino match, though, because it goes back to my point of just how DDT comedy works. Even when the comedy is very politically incorrect at times, um, <laughs> Dino does stuff that you've probably never seen anyone else do unless you've watched like the sleaziest of the indies. But um, yeah, uh, for, for me, it's uh, the window over and Yeah, I mean, that would be my number two. I won four and a half stars on that as well. So, you know, two really good choices there. Uh, up next from the last, actually, no, the second to last question uh, from Click, Click Clack Kathy. Uh, you know, she was in the building and she says Roman versus Cena felt super fun in the building. Did it translate to TV? I say yes and no, because I, I could definitely see watching on television how much all of you in the building liked it. Like, like, like I said throughout the review, it was the only match where the fans made noise throughout the entire match. So as much as I was bored by the Roman, like talk punch, talk punch, talk punch portion, uh, the, the crowd seemed to love it. So, you know, it worked. It clearly worked for them. I could tell how much all you got, all of you in the crowd, you know, really liked it. Uh, so I'm not, you know, I'm definitely not saying that that came across on television, how much yep. fun it was for all of you, even though I, I didn't love the first half of the match. But yeah, it did, it did come across. Uh, yep. That and uh, Pop for Lesnar. Yeah, that definitely came across too. Last question here from Walter. Uh, with the Takashita win, who do you think will be the next possible challenger who can beat him? Oh, yeah, there's two questions here. So I guess that one first. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, Endo could beat him again, I guess. Um, we're kind of at the problem where we are cycling through the same challenges. If we're going to do something different, maybe Hino, because uh, I think that's who mm-hmm. Takashida beat in the final, wasn't it? Yeah, Hino could beat him. Hino's yeah, and like they always do a rematch of a tournament final later in the year for something important. So uh, yeah. I, th- I think Hino and Takashida is probably a direction to go to. And the last question, is Maki beating Miyu finally? I say no. I think she got her tournament win, but I think she's not going to actually be here for the title yet. It's just that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could see it could happen. I just think Tokyo Joshi do book the champions a lot stronger for the bigger shows, but it's just like Yamashita has done the title. She she is like the Takashita of that company where she's had the title all the time. She's had all the defenses. I don't know what else you can get out of her. Um, I, I don't know because the, the fantasy booking is just like have Ido get that one day where she gets a title reign, but she immediately loses it and she wouldn't be hurt. You can do that, but I don't know who you'd pass the title on to after that. Yeah. So it's perplexing. It's it's a good matchup to try and see like what direction they go, and um, either could win. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it, it, yeah. It's it's just it's a head. It's a hate. It is a head scratcher for me to figure it out. Yeah. So there you go. 
Alrighty, so let's wrap things up here. Uh, Jamie, of course, I, I know what you're going to plug, so go ahead and plug the greatest DDT English language blog out there. Yeah, uh, you can find me at dramaticddt.wordpress.com. Uh, for over a decade now, I have been following this uh, company, and I don't think I'm ever going to stop. Like, uh, I've, It's been just an incredibly fun hobby for me, and it's opened up so many doors. And I get to follow a promotion that I kind of fell in love with back in 2008 and just got to understand so many things that I never thought I'd understand, not just about pro wrestling, not just about Japan, but just things in general. You'd be surprised at things that they reference and they throw into uh, all of their work. You can also find me on Twitter under the Dramatic DDT headline. Uh, personal Twitter is Jamie OD. Whatever. You do whatever. I, I do whatever on that. No need to follow me if you don't want to. But uh, th- that's mostly everything there. Uh, I don't do a podcast. Uh, this is one of the rare times I do it, just because I all the energy I put into the blog is enough that I want to do to keep it as a hobby and not as an, not as an obsession. So th- mm-hmm. that's kind of an important thing I've put on over the last few years, is just knowing when to take time off, not to do things 24-7, and to try and have hobbies outside of pro wrestling even. Because that, during this pandemic... A lot of times myself, I've been able to cope with it. I've, thankfully, no trouble has come my way. But it was something that made me think, like, I need to kind of expand my horizons a little bit. Uh, so there you go. Of course, you can check out the Wrestling Omakase Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. Uh, the next week's episode will be back to Patreon exclusive. I will have on Gerard next Monday, August 30th. Uh, we're going to be talking about the All Japan August 29th Corican and their August 24th Royal Road tournament matches. So basically the rest of the Royal Road, the uh, the quarterfinals from the 24th and the Corican with the semis and finals. Uh, if there's anything interesting from New Japan's Corican shows coming up this week, we'll cover it. I doubt there will be, but uh, the cards aren't even up yet because they're still worried about, you know, they don't know who they're going to have from the latest COVID outbreak. But uh, mainly it'll be All Japan. That'll be the main topic. So that'll be next week. Again, exclusively on the Patreon, which you can sign up for for $5, along with all of our Tokyo Dome episodes and everything else coming up on there, including the uh, upcoming daily tournament coverage. Uh, two weeks from now, back on the on the free feed, uh, I'll be joined by Chris Samsa to talk about AEW All Out and New Japan Wrestle Grand Slam in MetLife uh, from September 4th and 5th. So that'll be going up on Labor Day, uh, Monday, September 6th. Here, Labor Day here in the U.S., I should say, because... Obviously, not just my guest here. We have a lot of non-U.S. listeners, so I should remember that when I bring up these American holidays that you guys may or may not actually know. But uh, do you know, like, is Labor Day? Do you know that Labor Day is a thing or no? Oh yeah, I've been to America during Labor Day. So uh, oh, what's the go. whole thing about not, not wearing white or something? Yeah, you're not supposed to wear white after Labor Day. Yeah, but I, I think it's also because, like, uh, I've been to Seattle a few times for Pax Prime, and that's usually the day that yeah, falls on. Labor Day is like considered the unofficial end of summer here, even though really summer doesn't end for like th- two more weeks. But all the kids have to go back to school in the Northeast, and you know most of the country, some of the country they're back already, but most of the country they go back after, uh, you know, after Labor Day. But everywhere I lived, at least they go back after Labor Day. I think the mm-hmm. South they go back in August. But there you go. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Russell Omakase, uh, Wrestling Wouldn't Fit. And that's it, folks. Thank you as always for listening. And I will see you next time. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. 
Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.